Hello, hello, and welcome to Review 2. This week we're Review 2-ing Zoo TV. to taking an entire TV station on the road. Bono has come out in a gold lame suit. 36 monitors. 28 cameras. 12 laser discs. What are we talking about? I don't know, I've no idea. This uh, is Zoo TV. This boy. is Zoo TV, yeah. It's, it just takes you on a, a different trip. Hello, and welcome to Season 4, Episode 5 of Review 2. Today, we'll be continuing our journey through the story of U2 Live. I'm Tyler, here with me is Johnny. Say hello, Johnny. Guten Tag. We are two bespectacled U2 fans. We love talking about that too. And today we'll be discussing Zoo TV. So it's finally arrived. One of the best, if not the best, era of U2's live career. I think we're entering this on a very, very high note, to be honest. Uh, well, it's certainly a, a rebirth for U2. Uh, you can, I, I think right from the off, no, no, there's no spoilers in saying, this looks like a very different U2 to the one mm. we saw for the entirety of the 80s. Uh, a, a U2 that is now embracing um, a rock persona, a rock star persona. Uh, and I think they kind of shied away from that in the 80s. They weren't comfortable with the, the tagline of rock stars. But here they are with full, full irony attached. Mm. They are really going for it with the rock star persona. And the result is... I think one of the best stage shows ever um, in the history of music, not just in the in, in the history of U2. It's very hard to even think of another tour that has d- even, you know, approached what Zoo TV was. Yeah, it's a bit early to be getting into quotes, but Willie Williams in U2 show says, I can say with absolute confidence that there will never be another rock tour like it. So... For good and bad. Yeah, I, I exactly. Would, yeah. I mean, it's going to be interesting seeing how this impacts on the rest of the band's decisions in terms of their live performances. We know what's coming down the road, things like Pop Mart, and then a return to a more simple... Whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't spoil it for anybody. Oh, the, people don't even know that Pop Mart's going to happen. I reckon there's at least one Review 2 listener that had never heard about Review 2 before listening to our show, and mm. so they don't know what's next. I don't think that's true. <laughs> they're such an avid listener, they haven't listened to Season 2. Yeah, or in one of the most important and iconic and obvious <laughs> U2 things. Yeah, but do you, know, do you think we're biased? Because I, I don't feel any shame in saying that uh, about Zoo TV. But would would other fans you know, think that? Would other artist fans think that Zoo TV is one of the most influential and important tours? I think it's had an enormous impact. Even people who don't like U2 and don't know very much about U2 have heard about Zoo TV it was an absolute spectacle. It was it was something that had never been done before and completely redefines the concept of live rock music and live pop music. I think the impact can be felt through to artists as different and distinct as someone like Lady Gaga, for example, to Kylie, to well, everyone, to Miley Cyrus, really. I, I don't know if that's overstating it, but I think you two had that impact. People just simply hadn't seen a spectacle like this before yeah they kind of showed the way of the 90s didn't they and then kind of left it to everybody else to pick up the pieces yeah attempt to do anything half as good after after they'd uh, lit the way yeah ultraviolet. Um, very interesting point in U2's career and today we'll be using the Live in Sydney DVD which if I could just have a look was released 
in 2006. It's a little earlier than I, I thought it was going to be. Mm. But maybe that's to do with Bono. Remember Bono around the time of uh, the Vertigo tour saying that the fly reappears yeah. in in the tour. Uh, so I think Bono certainly gave some relevance to Zoo TV. And there used to be that, that bit in the Vertigo tour where they would do even they did Zoo Station. Thing. Yeah, Zoo Station and the, the fly. One of my favourite Mysterious ways sometimes as well. Yeah. Um, I have, I think, three different formats of this thing. I've got VHS, which I think was the original one that I got. Then I got a DVD version, and then I had to get the other deluxe version so I could get the stickers and stuff like that that came with it. Yeah, this is absolutely incredible. I don't know how many of our listeners will actually have this this um, DVD. So Tyler's got the cardboard in his hand now. He's just opening it up. Yeah, this is the deluxe two-disc edition. And it is beautiful. It's so extraordinarily colourful. Mm. You know, contrasting colours and a re- very cool picture of, of the, the guys on the front. Bono smoking a cigar. I don't think you get away with that these days. Um, and inside the booklet, you've not only got some great photography, some really good quotes, also some stickers. Yeah. Um, I got a second set of those, some of which I've stuck on my guitar. You, how did you procure a second set? I don't it's know. stuck into the book. Yeah, I know. Mine is still stuck into the book, but I had another set just sort of um, stuck inside as well. I don't know why. It didn't say I got extra I'm, stickers. I'm, I'm very jealous of that. But the first sticker you come to is one of the um, dollar bills, the zoo dollars, mm. that would fall from the ceiling during Daddy's Gonna Pay from uh, for Your Crash Car. Uh, you've got all the little symbols for the Actung Baby on the Zoo Roper album and the Zoo TV tour. Uh, you've got, then the, you've got the reverse side of the zoo dollar. Some, even better than the real thing, zoo cola stickers for a 330 milliliter can. <laughs> I mean, oddly specific about yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. Some, um, some zoo roper stamps. Some zoo perfume, which you could actually buy at one point. Could you? Yeah, they went. If there, if there was any merchandise to do with this, they did it. They just went all out. There is a advertisement for the perfume. I'm sorry, uh, you guys at home can't see this, uh, yeah. or on the bus, wherever you may be. <laughs> The two places uh, you two fans listen, on the bus yeah. or just at home, sat in the chair. Not on that train, though. Definitely not on that train. Well, I didn't think this would turn into an unboxing, but it is a beautiful package. I've it... been thinking of doing some unboxings as well, like on our yeah. uh, on our YouTube channel, which we have, but we don't actually use. Um, and, and just to go through some of these things, because I imagine this is now out of print. Is it? I would imagine so. It's I should a D- have kept my stickers. It's a DVD from 2006. You know, Blu-ray's been around since 2008. I yeah. would, I would imagine the DVD of Zoo, uh, of Zoo TV is now out of print. I could be wrong. If it's not, then buy uh, just get this because it's it's just a really really good package and a really good show. Yeah, two things about that um, DVD. Just before we move on to actually talk about the thing we're here to talk about, a the box has held up remarkably well. A lot better than my c- uh, copy of Potmart, which all the glue is just sort of melted and broken. And yeah, I think that's... so annoying. We'll, we'll get to this ne- ne- uh, next time. This actually really annoys my friend Mark, uh, who, who I live with, because he, <laughs> living with me, has had to watch Potmart a lot mm. throughout his tenure of living with me. Uh, and it just hates it. And he particularly hates on the spine the, the glue has come off. So it's just an open flap on one side. Yep, exactly the same as mine. But I think that's to do with the the mirror foil that's over it. Yeah. We'll, we'll get to that 
next well, time. I guess cheap and disposable and not really um, working very well is kind of at least emblematic of what Pop is symbolising. Zoo TV, this presentation is absolutely beautiful. Do you think that the front cover, obviously it's a great picture of the lads, do you think that the front cover, well, does it remind you of Sega Mega Drive? Um, I don't have enough experience with Sega Mega Drive to draw any comparison. Oh, okay. Well, um, I'm interested if anyone like else has shown your workings. Um, well, it's very difficult via the medium of podcast. We'll we'll put pictures of this on Twitter. Yeah, sure. I, it remind, for some reason, maybe it's just because it's the early '90s yeah. and it's got a vibrant kind of blue and yellow color. It reminds me, and it's sort of as electric symbols and things like that it reminds me for some reason of sonic the hedgehog and mega drive slash you know sega genesis stuff yeah anyway um so first thing to say if anyone and this must be a very small amount of people but if anyone is listening and hasn't watched zoo tv or maybe just hasn't watched it in a while i would recommend watching it before listening to this podcast yeah i would really go go away and revisit it i thought i'd seen this show a lot of times and knew it pretty much end to end but I so thoroughly enjoyed watching it again recently. It was brilliant. Yeah, there's um, I, ha- I, I think I have watched this equally with the rest. But for some reason, I never felt like I really enjoyed this DVD, and for reasons we'll go into. Mm. But this time, and I don't know if it's just watching things in sequence like like we've been doing with the live shows, going all the way from the early days and that marquee club gig through Red Rocks, the Unforgettable Fire Tour, the Joshua Tree Tour, to get here to Zoo TV, yeah. I felt like I've certainly appreciated this a hell of a lot more than I ever have done. Well, you need contrast. And what we've had so far, and what hopefully um, listeners will have been getting so far, is a particular idea of the band. Earnest, politically engaged... You know, serious on stage, making big statements, having a particular type of production that really focuses on the band and on the sound. And it's useful now because we have the contrast. As Edge said, this is our reward for 10 years of restraint. Yeah. I, I think, though, if you're, a, you're a, a fan but you're not really into U2 quite yet, then the, the temptation is to always just jump into certain albums here and there. But hmm listening to everything in order and going through it that is when you get the full U2 experience, that is when things yep. start to make sense You know, if you watched Zoo TV just out of the blue it'd be quite easy to criticise I think yeah definitely Like it looks ridiculous Yeah. even when you're familiar with the band considering what they were doing two years earlier with uh, Love Town Tour yeah. but to do you know to to go through it, you kind of sit there and go, "Oh no, no, this does make this makes purple, uh, pur- not this <laughs> makes perfect sense." Bono has has come out in a gold lame suit. Why wouldn't he do that? Yeah, of course. You, you know, so when you do follow U 2s career in order, sense is made out of nonsense, mm. and that's quite a bizarre th- thing. I, I've not, I'm not fully got my head around that yet, but it, I, I'm really enjoying this uh, this story of of you two live yeah so we should probably get into how the tour was conceived where does zoo tv come from as a general bit of context we have the birth or at least the explosion of things like cable television early days of the internet mass information emails speeding everything up that happens in the in the early 90s and 
Zoo TV is kind of a distillation of all that, which I think probably speaks to our context as well these days. It, it, I don't think this looks dated. Would you say this seems dated? No, I have thought it did in the past, mm. but... No, this looks... There are certainly some shots that look cool. Okay, the technology will be better these days. Yeah. So there are, you know, there are ways to, to date it, but... No, this is pretty cool. It's pretty current. I really like it. Mm. Um, I think recently in pop culture there's been a bit of a, a resurgence of um, the 80s. You know, the very flamboyant, colourful Miami Vice style. Mm. Um, and I'm thinking particularly at the moment of the the new Paramore video, Hard Times, which is one mm. of my favourite songs at the minute. But this fits in, and this is early 90s. It's very, it's very Saved by the Bell culture coming back at the moment. Mm. Flamboyant shirts and bleach blonde hair. You're just describing your fashion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, but no, it's not, it's, not, it's not aged as much as you think it might have. And I think... So obviously we're talking there about the visuals and things like that, but thematically as well, I think ZooTV has become more and more relevant, really. Look at Bono mugging it to the camera, um, having his own kind of... I mean, it's sort of like a version of a selfie stick. Yeah. I think it really does speak to a lot of the concerns of today. And I think it's very, very important that people coming into this, people who maybe don't know as much about the band realize the the layers and layers of irony that are in that are involved in zoo tv it would be quite easy to just see a clip of bono being the fly and think what an idiot no the irony certainly doesn't stop but i i've when i was watching this and um it if this is quite an arduous show for anybody listening i i apologize but i was sat there watching zoo tv with my notes like i normally do and i just stopped taking notes i was just enjoying the show too much that i just didn't want to be thinking oh how am i going to say this on the podcast mm. So I gave up and I have no notes for this today. Um, so I was sat there thinking, okay, who is who is this Bono that's on stage now? Is he the Fly? Is he McFisto? Is he Mirabal Man? Is he, you know, one of these versions of himself? Or is he actually being Bono? And at no point did I actually feel confident that the person standing on stage was was actually just a pure nude Bono. If you know what I mean. Okay, well, I'm not keen on having a Naked Bono on stage at any point. Okay, so moving on from Naked Bonos, the conception of this tour began, obviously, in tandem with Acton Baby coalescing as an album. Anyone who wants to hear our thoughts on that, obviously, head back to the Acton Baby podcast. Um, there's no point in really reiterating all the things that we said. But the band asked Willie Williams, the tour designer, to join them in Tenerife to talk about putting together the tour for the album. And they had a couple of ideas, one of which was Zoo TV, this phrase that kept going around in Bono's head, apparently, and the other being an enormous pair of sunglasses, which he, to quote Willie Williams, thought were very important. So, I mean, small ideas, I guess, or like small seeds from which this can actually grow. But the basic idea comes from that concept of we're living in an increasingly digitised, multi-media, information-saturated age. And that's how we end up to the the point of you two taking an entire TV station on the road. So not only to bring live television and cable images onto the stage, but also to send them out as well. I mean, what an education this must have been from the perspective of Willie Williams. If you've gone through the very austere shows of Mm. you two in the 1980s 
uh, and I hate that that word austerity because everybody's saying it at the moment, all the politicians on TV. Mm. Um, but the, the U two shows were very austere in the and very burr, very blank, uh, very minimalistic, which you know put an emphasis on on how they performed. But now in the nineties, they've gone okay. Let's just throw all that away. Let's go out there. Let's play our songs in the biggest way possible. Mm. And that just unleashed Willie Williams, and you can imagine that Zoo TV. This is a, a, a just. This must have just been a fantasy to to Willie Williams for so long. Like, uh, you know, if the day ever came where I could do this, I would definitely do it. You know, it's just mm. it's it's a dream. And when he first put the DVD on, and I think you can watch it on YouTube, but the DVD's worth buying. Um, the one of the first shots you see is just of the stage. And the sheer amount of scaffold, we're kind of going a little bit into the set here, but just the, the sheer amount of scaffold that's there, that I, I doubt that that much scaffold needed to be used, the, but there yeah. is a lot. I mean, it literally goes up hundreds of feet. <laughs> well, there we go. Catchphrase snuck in. I, I think um, one of the things that was said about that at the time was that it gave a very um, Blade Runner-esque kind of feel to have all that scaffold in the twinkling lights, a lot of darkness and a lot of light being used. Um, and yeah, this is opposite from the um, austere band-focused set that we've talked about previously on the Joshua Tree Tour episode. And I think we've got Brian Eno, our old friend, to thank for that. Eno was really, really useful. I know you're not a fan of when Eno, um, you know, gets on the mixing I, I am a sometime. fan of Brian Eno. I, I really do like Brian Eno, but for the purposes of this podcast, I, I feel that somebody should be on the other side. Mm. And 4th of July is just inexcusable. Well, that I, well, I like 4th of July, but um, I think that the, the main crime that I think you two fans would hold Mr. Eno responsible for, or would... <laughs> Well, he didn't actually manage it, but you know the whole um, he almost deleted where the streets have no name yeah. kind of thing. That's pretty bad. But anyway, Eno really comes into his own here because Eno is someone who works with very interesting conceptualizations. He's you can tell he's a person who's quite bored by things, and he appears on a lot of the documentaries about Zoo TV, which I would again recommend people go and go and watch because they'll be more uh, informative, I imagine, than what we're going to talk about. Um, Eno basically says. He wants to work with two types of extreme. He wants to work with either the band being really focused on or the band being completely lost within that that stage set. And the idea of video reinforcement of just showing you a slightly bigger version of Bono, that's completely dull to him. So um, I've got a quote from Eno. It's a bit long, but I think it's worth reading out. The idea to make a stage set with lots of video sources was mine. To make a chaos of uncoordinated material happening together. The idea of getting away from video being a way of helping people to see the band more easily. This is video as a way of obscuring them, losing them sometimes in just a network of material. So, I mean, that's paraphrased from the documentary. But Eno's really fascinated in this idea of what if the audience is actually distanced from the band? What if um, the band are not brought into a more intimate setting? What if they're lost in this whole digital landscape that's created in Sonic Landscape? And I think that speaks to what you were saying about the fact that you can't really tell if this is Bono or not. You know, we don't really... We've got so many different layers that preventing I, us from making that, that identification. sensory overload mm. uh, and just absolutely... You know, wherever you look, there's something to see. Mm. That is what you get with Zoo TV. Um, so it, in a way, it's very easy to get lost, and in a way, it's also very hard to get lost because no matter where you're looking, 
at Zoo TV, you're still a part of it. Even, yeah. even if you lose track of what Bono's doing or what the Edge is doing or, you know, how many cigarettes Adam's smoking throughout the gig, <laughs> you, you, you're still experiencing Zoo TV. You can't not experience it. It is all-consuming. Uh, and that's a very interesting thing. But you think of the impact this must have had on people like the Killers. No, sorry, not the Killers, the Gorillas. Um, mm. Who, you know, hid for so long behind that cartoon persona. People like Daft, uh, Daft Punk. Yeah. You, you know, who are... They want the music to be the presentation. Uh, and, and they will kind of take a step back. Yeah. You two must have been so influ- influential in in those kinds of... Of bands. Well, it goes back to what Bonner was saying about doing some judo. Everyone had been, <laughs> I'll explain that, it is a bit of a weird quote, I suppose, out of context. Everyone was attacking the band at this point, after Rattle and Hum, rightly, to be honest, in a lot of ways, um, saying they're pompous, they take themselves too seriously. So they completely flipped that on its head. They used the weight of criticism against the critics. There's no real way to attack Zoo TV here, because anything that you say, like, oh, doesn't Bono look full of himself? That's the point, yeah. you know. It's all about that kind of irony, and it's such a clever show. It's so well conceived, and it's the best thing that the band could have done at this point. It's the thing that pushes them into that transcendent category for me, and, me, and yeah. takes it beyond just rock and roll. And actually, main, means that Zoo TV is a piece of art. It's a proper bona fide piece of art. If you take you two out of this. And so Zoo TV is still Zoo TV, but you two aren't a part of this. Mm. You could quite feasibly put another band in their place. I'm thinking right now, Arcade Fire. Mm. You could put Arcade Fire on that Zoo TV stage, and it wouldn't seem strange. It would it would fit. It would work perfectly, particularly with what they're doing with everything now and Creature Comforts and the uh, Infinite Content Tour coming yeah, this year. Yeah, it does feel Buy very. Tickets now. <laughs> <laughs> you don't work for Arcade Fire, do you? I wish I did. Wait, you're not Tyler. You're Win Butler in a Tyler mask. Um, okay, well, two things about that. A, you two actually did do that in terms of taking people out of the um, taking the band out of it and substituting other people. Oh, we're, I think I know where you're going with this. Well, we'll get to that later on. Yeah. Okay. Um, and two, yeah, I completely agree about. I mean, look at Arcade Fire's recent stuff in terms of not just the sound, very electronic based at the moment, but Reflector. And this new album does seem very he- heavily influenced and live very heavily inf- influenced by uh, Zoo TV. I-, I think it's a good thing. Obviously, they've toured with the band. You know, they're, they're both excellent artists, and I think that's that's only good. I'm not saying that they're copying off them or anything like that. Yeah. And again, you can't really accuse someone of copying Zoo TV, which is an amalgam of so many different things. You know, it's itself is a simulacrum, if I can use such pretent- uh, pretentious kind of phrases. You know, it's a copy of. You're gonna have to tell me what it means. A, a copy of a copy, lots and lots of right. different different things. Something that's so removed from its original reference that it just becomes its own detached thing. I thank you on behalf of most of our <laughs> listeners. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna get some pretentious points. This so week. What, what what's next? Have we done the story now? Do we well, need? Yeah, I think we should move on to the stats. A lot of stats attached to this particular gig and to Zoo TV as a tour in general. So we've got a five-legged tour of 157 shows, beginning in Florida, um, February 29th, 1992, and finishing in Tokyo, Japan, on the 10th of December, 1993. Yeah, and this show, the Sydney show, was recorded on the 27th of November, 
1993. So right towards the end, they only had another, well, less than a month of shows. This is in the last three weeks of the tour. Yeah. Um, and this is on the Zoomerang leg of the show, which is Australia. Yeah, they really went to town in this particular period with the uh, zoo puns, didn't they? All the time. I, I like it. I would I would much rather have a two-album theme like this. You know, oh, yeah. two albums in quick succession. Rather than two albums or zoo albums, rather than two albums a decade and four years between each. Well, yeah, that's true. I mean, definitely. Matt is taking a serious hit though, but <laughs> otherwise, I think it's a valid point. Um, yeah. So we've so you can tell that this is a show that has been really, really tightly honed by this particular point, and it's also quite a mem- memorable show because the night before when they were meant to be doing all the dress rehearsal for this particular shoot, Adam Clayton did not show up. It's infamous as being the only night where Adam had not actually played with a band and um, his bass tech had to fill in for him. I think he's called Stuart Morgan. So No one knew, though. No one figured it out, did they? Yeah, I think they did. Did people know? I think I think they did, yeah. Right. I, I was under the impression that they dressed him up like Adam and shoved him out there. I think the thing is, though, with that much video, you're going to be able to tell. I mean... He's a pretty distinctive-looking guy, isn't he? I mean, particularly at this time. Um, and they, I mean, well, they said they announced that Adam was ill that night, so he couldn't play. In actuality, he was hungover, and this is what led uh, Adam to basically get rid of, um, you know, the kind of the wilder aspects of his life um, well, from this point. He stopped drinking. Well, yeah, exactly. And yesterday, I celebrated my eight months of not drinking. So, congrats! You may remember the early podcasts where I said I was going to get drunk for the. No Line on the Horizon review, and uh, uh, when the time came, I wasn't drinking, so I had to suffer through it s- sober. <laughs> uh, so, mm. yeah. So, well done, Adam, for giving up drinking and realising that, you know, there was a problem there. Yeah. Um, here. Here. <laughs> I, I think that is, obviously, that is genuinely working out well for him. I mean, look how Buffy looks on the recent tours, you know. Um, but... That aside, this is a particularly important and emotional gig because there was actually some talks about this maybe, you know, a final run of shows for you two. They might actually be getting to the end of something again and properly putting a, a line under you two and finishing it off. Well, I, I think um, the show, this is the longest tour that they've done so far. Adam being in the condition that he was and, you know, the added press of, of dating Naomi Campbell. And Bono befriending uh, a fellow supermodel who there was a lot of speculation about mm. kind of stretched the band. It was getting to a point where you know, they weren't in control of the irony any, anymore. People weren't sure what you two were actually doing and what you two had been photographed doing. Yeah. So um, the Edge particularly felt really uncomfortable about that, um, even though he found his wife on this tour, you know. Yeah, but in quite a wholesome way. Yeah, well. I don't know. I don't know. She's she's a good-looking girl. She's a good-looking belly dancer. You're coming across as very prudish here. I don't know. I would like to get belly-to-belly with her. You just did a complete 180, then. What what is your point here? (laughs) Um, My point is about... I mean, you know, edge aside, my point is that you two had invited a lot of scrutiny into the career. Yeah. And didn't... I don't think they knew how to handle it. And things with, pressures were within the band were getting very high, and by the time of the end of the Zoo TV tour, they just they needed a break. 
So Adam and Larry went straight to uh, a New York apartment and started working on their own stuff. <laughs> that implies that they lived together in that apartment. They did. Did they? They, they? they went and lived together in New York. And I, I, I don't know this. I'm speculating, but I imagine Larry was a bit of you know, um, just helping Adam if he you know he was giving up drink and whatever else he may have been on jams, um, brews. I'm a, I think I'm addicted to tea at the moment. Yeah, tea, tea with one sugar. That's where your mind goes when you want to think of an addictive you make substance. A, Johnny Rogers, who I do this podcast with, he's over there. Say hello, Johnny. Hello. He uh, he makes a cracking brew, so if you ever get a chance, make sure that he gets you a brew. Yeah, I don't know when that's going to happen, but fair enough. Um, shall we go back to the stats on the tour? Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the most interesting things about this is we've got a huge amount of data about the equipment. I mean, that's something we've not really had much of a... I mean, not much of an interest in so far. I mean, I don't really care how much cable was used on the Joshua Tree tour or anything like that, or how many mic stands were used on the Unforgettable Fire. But in the documentaries, um, we've got you know four mega video screens, four Panasonic video walls, 36 monitors, 18 projectors, 12 laser discs. I mean, this is, at the time, very, very, you know, the height of technology here. Twenty, I think it's like 24 or 28 cameras. Because when I was watching the um, the audio commentary for Red Rocks, the the producer of that show, whose name escapes me at the moment, um, he said, you know, we, we did this with, I think it was four or six cameras. Uh, and then I hear about them doing Zoo TV and it was 24 cameras. And I was thinking, well... Did Gavin Martin? Yeah, Gavin Martin yeah. said, you know, what what are they doing with 24 cameras? You don't need 24 cameras to shoot a rock show. Mm. But oh, you do if it's a TV station as yeah. well as a rock show. Yeah, and you know, he had a point. And I think, uh, you know, if pushed, I, I pre- prefer the purer, less choreographed shows uh, like Red Rock. Less choreographed until... Um... A girl joins Bono on stage and they do yeah. a ridiculously no, it stupid works. dance. Zoo TV really works, but if, if pushed, how would I like to see a show presented? I'd like to go the Gavin Martin way rather than, you know, 20, 26 cameras. That's a lot. All right, lay it on me. Good. You, more cameras, more that, video That's incredible, walls. but uh, to my point, I never feel when watching this DVD like I'm at the show. I feel like I'm having a really good time watching a DVD at home. Yeah, fair enough. With... Um, Red Rocks and a couple of the later shows, I do feel like I'm in the audience. Well, to play devil's advocate, I would say A, Zoo TV's kind of got a bulletproof cover there of, well, yeah, that's the point. It's yeah, meant to look like that. Yeah. And B, I do think this is more of a piece of art rather than a live gig. I mean, we're getting to this pretty quickly here, but this is a show, not a gig. It's very, very obvious. We can't, yeah. can't really hide that no, until no, the end you, of the review, can no, we? No, you can't. Um, although one thing we will learn later on is, well, will I be using my magical ticket to travel back in time to go to this show or not? Tyler's already used his um, on Red Rocks, um, but we, we've not found out well, whether I've used mine yet. Well, if you do use it tonight, mm-hmm. then I would like to invite the uh, our Twitter audience and Facebook audience to let us know when you would use your magic ticket. Maybe it's a tour that you went to and you would just like to relive that. Maybe you'd like to go and see a completely different tour. So if Johnny does use that, even if he doesn't, you know, let us know where you would use your magic ticket. Which U2 show would you like to go back and see? Yeah. Uh, I, I'm, I would probably do something boring and just do something 
because I want to research it. I want I want to know you know how it how it felt. Mm. Um, but you know maybe some people would just like to go and relive the the original Joshua Tree tour. Yeah. Maybe well. some people would like to go and revisit the Zoo TV tour. Be interesting to see if he'd already been to it as well. Yeah, I I wouldn't want to go see anything I've already seen before. But to be fair, I've only seen a, a handful of the shows yeah. and not the most iconic ones. We're racking them up. We are racking them up now. Yeah, just about. Um, yeah, it'd be interesting. I, I reckon I'll have a few people joining me in the uh, View Two Time Machine. So uh, yeah, would you use your ticket for this one? Um, on the stats, I mean, it's a bit difficult here because I've just got so many figures in front of me. Um, 180 person crew, 12 buses, the chartered jet known as the Zoo Plane, um, 52 trucks transporting 1,200 tons. Oh, there's different types of tonnage here. It's a minefield, this. Um, the I imagine you've got this from Wikipedia. Uh, possibly. So, which is not the best place to get any information. But a huge a huge operation, one can definitely say. I mean, the sound system using a million watts and it weighs 30 tons. Yeah. It's incredible. It's big. It's, yeah. It's, it's very, very big. I mean, this must have been really good for Willie Williams because he's basically in a position now where he, he can, can use... do whatever he wants. Yeah, exactly. Money's not really a, not a, a problem here. Well, I was wondering about that. I was wondering if it was because this is very big. This is a lot bigger than any U2 tour before. Mm. So would the management? Uh, I think it was principal management at that time. Could have been. It could be wrong. I don't know. Um, but would they have said no? We're not investing that much in a U2 show. You've never done anything like this before. You can't prove that you know we can make money from it. So yeah. would U2 have had to put most of their own money into this, much like Coldplay had to do on the um, Milo Zilotto tour? Just for those little wristbands. Yeah, those those little wristbands, which I have a complete set of, actually, um, mm. which were very, very cool and lit up a, a stadium like I've never seen anybody do in a very, very unique way. Um, Coldplay had to fund them themselves and made very little from that tour because of it. Yeah, I mean, that's a very pot marty thing to do, isn't it? And I really applaud that as well. Sticking the profits back into the artistic product, product not just sitting on them is what you should be doing if you, if you want to actually change the history of, of rock music in terms of live shows. So I completely agree with that. Yeah, I still think at this point they must have been in a position of of pretty you know pretty much let you two just do what they're doing. You I know? don't know. I think you two are back to being unproven at this point because they're doing something that is so drastically yeah, different. Yeah, I suppose so. Actually. There is no uh, th- th- there's no record of you two fans being into it into stuff like this. And there's, I mean, Edge was saying when they embarked upon this, we are either gonna, this is either gonna be amazing and change history, or it's gonna be an absolute car crash. Yeah, I mean, I remember Scott Orkman on you talking you two to me, saying when um, the fly came out, and even better than the real thing, he's just like, oh, I don't like you two anymore. I thought he got back into them because was of, it, well, uh, it was one of them. It was Adam or Scott. That listened to it, listened to it on the radio and just didn't didn't like it and thought he wasn't into you too. Well, I guess a huge amount of fans. I mean, if you're really really into um, Rattle and Home and Love Town, as I'm sure there might there must be a lot of people who yeah. are into that. This is going to alienate you, and yeah. it's not bad. It's not it it it's not by no means our favorite period of you too, but it's not bad. No, it's still excellent music. Yeah, it's still, we're it's always still talking really about well in context here. We're comparing you two with you too, not. Rattling home with you know something not very good. Yeah. Um. So 
Any more stats then for this? I mean, we could just read off all the different things that we use, but just having a, an entire TV station on the road is a huge financial gamble. Okay, so the stage. This is going to be difficult to talk about in one full go. I think we'll talk about it as we go through track by track, and this is definitely a show where we can spend a bit of time going track by track. It, it's worth doing that for this. We talked about the fact that this is a show that's conceived by a few different people. So obviously the band, Willie Williams as the, the whole designer, Brian Eno, but also a lot of other artists were brought on board. So um, Rene Castro, for example, who'd done the um, Love Town mural, he was brought in to paint some of the Trevants, as were other people. This is a really, really collaborative um, venture, basically, as a, as a designed set. So the guys from Public Enemy played no uh, no small part either. Really, I didn't know. What did they do? Uh, they did the opening. Uh, I don't believe the hype. They um, opened a few shows. Oh yeah, yeah. The Pixies opened a few shows. It actually imploded the the Pixies. They broke up at the end of Zoo TV. Uh, I think just before the end of Zoo TV, and they had to find another support. Um, well, that's not you two's fault, is it? Uh, no, but there's problem problems within the the Pixies, and there was uh, one of them in particular was not happy with the way you two treated them on the tour. Oh dear! Um, but I just think that's uh, the band being all in on this irony trip, and maybe... hopefully they weren't being ironic off stage as well. Though I mean, well, there is a I, limit. I, you know, you know, I, I don't know. I wasn't there, so I can't really comment. But that's that they are the reports from the field. Okay, well, back to the the stage. What did Public Enemy do then specifically? Do you mean just adding those kind of remixes and things yeah, like that? Yeah. yeah. And the, did they do the um, We Were Rock You? I'm I'm not sure, but they were. You know, you two seem to be pretty tight with Public Enemy at that point, and mm. you know, very interested in their ideas. And I think what Public Enemy was not too dissimilar from Zoo TV well, at you, that time. You get the yeah. I mean, you get the impression from this that you two are hungry for ideas and they want to talk to people and to develop this. The Edge said Zoo TV wasn't a set piece, it was a state of mind. Which is, I mean, that's almost kind of a, a cliche now, but I think it really does apply here, and I'm taking this seriously. And they're saying these kind of things before people said, you know, it was a state of mind. This is this is kind of an original approach to a rock album and a rock show. Yeah, it's not become cliche yet, I suppose. So Zoo TV was constantly evolving and changing and taking on new ideas as it went. We changed it, we consciously changed it for each new area of the world. So... Obviously, by the time we get to the Zoomerang and the uh, Zoo Z Zoo Zealand, is that how it was? What was? Is that no, how it no. Was? Zoo, uh, uh, New Zealand was part of the Zoomerang tour. New Zealand. Remember under under Australian skies? Yeah. You well, know, they're not very nice to the uh, the New Zealand folk. Well, it's called the Zoomerang slash New Zealand tour. Although they've Zealand just got tour. the Joshua Tree tour. The Joshua Tree tour is going to New Zealand. So well done, New Zealand. I'm I'm very happy for them. I'd be quite gutted if you know they were doing a new tour and they just didn't do. Britain. Yeah. Which which seems strange, but you know, to cut off a whole continent seems a bit a bit strange for me. Well, I just a... read that Paul McCartney's doing his first he's seventy five years old, I think, and he's doing his first um Australian and New Zealand tour in like twenty four years. How's he gonna solve all those murders? That's a callback. That's that's Angela Lansbury. Oh she's that's... not the one in the band. That's who I'm getting confused with. Well everyone knows that Paul McCartney died and they replaced him ages ago, so Yeah, true. Um okay. Angela Lansbury. <laughs> So, 
we'll talk about the the stage as we go through. Um, the appearance of the B side as well, uh, the B side, the B stage rather, which is really interesting. Did they have that at the start? Because the stage set was very different at the beginning, wasn't it? Yeah, this did evolve as the tour went on. I mean, and that arena tour at first, wasn't it? Yeah, and it's uh, it's a modular tour, as in you can keep taking things out and putting things back in. They said very early on they still wanted to have a lot of flexibility with the tour, so even though they're using a lot of sequences and timings and choreographed things, they wanted to have a lot of um, flexibility with the inputs. And people were constantly generating new bits of material to go into you know, the filmed bit. So what we see in Sydney on the DVD is certainly not what you would have saw at the start in 1992, for example. No, absolutely not. And there are some, uh, some footage of the GMEX show here in Manchester. And that's very different, much smaller, yeah. much more compact. Well, it's not in a football stadium, I think they is it? only had two Trabants that night. Only two cars being used as lights. I, I think a Trabant hanging from the ceiling is amazing. If I had a house big enough, I would have a Trabant. I actually walked... When I was in Dublin last year, I walked into um, the Hard Rock Cafe mm. in, in Dublin, um, and it's absolutely brilliant. I walked in, and my girlfriend at the time, uh, who, poor her, had a just a U2 tour of Dublin. You know, where I was walking mm. down the street. Oh my God, they recorded Sweetest Thing down this street and st- stuff like that. And te- taking it to St. Stephen's Green where Bono and the Edge released Lambs um, <laughs> the day after they got the Freedom of the City. Because if you get the Freedom of the City in, in Dublin, you're allowed to graze sheep in St. Stephen's Green. Mm. Obviously, no one does that, but Bono well, and the Edge too, isn't it? did it. So she basically got a guided U2 tour of Dublin, which she did not ask for. And I walk into... The Hard Rock Cafe, there's a Trabant hanging from the ceiling, and I just go, oh my god, take my picture with the Trabant, and she's like, what's a Trabant? Yeah. As a normal person would say in 2016. Mm. Um, but just epic. Just go to Dublin, see all the U2 stuff. It's hidden, but you, you can certainly see it all there. Was it a full-size Trabant? Yeah, it was a proper Zoo TV Trabant. Was it mirrorballed, or was it painted? Uh, it, was, it was painted. I would really want the mirrorball one that they used to hang by a crane and, you know, use that yeah. create that amazing mirrorball effect. Yeah. I, I love certain bits of U2 iconography that continue throughout the whole band's, well, not the whole band's life, but, you know, from that point onwards. stages, yeah. Yeah, so mirrorball's such a great, iconic part of U2 um, stage sets. And I guess this is where we should bring in, because I've not mentioned him yet, Anton Corbine is um, adamant that he came up with the Trevant idea, and he sounds a bit <laughs> angry on the documentary. He says, and I'm not going to try and do his accent, he said... Well, you know, I had the idea of, to bring in the Trabants and uh, Bono had the idea to paint them. So I guess that he gets half of the idea, I suppose. It's like, mm, you don't really mean that, do you, Anton? <laughs> but, um, I mean, all of the imagery that's created, not just on stage here with the Trabants, but the whole music video um, production that's created around this era is so interesting as well. It's just an exciting time um, in U2's yeah. history. It's um, an epic stage set. There's, there's so much we haven't talked about. Um, we'll try and get to it, I guess. But um, we'll probably get get to it through the review, but we need to talk about the swag. Um, yeah, let's move on to the swag. Because this is going to be a long section. So Bono enters a full-on fly character. Uh, he rises up out, uh, out of the stage onto the image of the European Union flag. Uh, and have you noticed as Bono rises up, one star, star falls, falls off. off? Yeah, there goes Britain. Yeah, the, the, the bit of Brexit there, um, <laughs> twenty-five years in advance. Yeah, um, and it still hurts. Just so forward-looking. So many things that you know they did in the show. Just you know, 
it's uh, reality imitating art. Yeah, you, you can. Re- it's a really interesting show in in that regard. Well, difficult though it might be, shall we try and just t- talk about what the word? Yeah, let's right. just talk about the clapping. Okay, so, so the um, Bono has got the PVC pants and jacket, yeah, kind of leather style, leather jacket. Sort style. of g- greasy look. Yeah, James Dean kind of style. He's got, uh, is it Lou Reed's glasses? Yeah, and Bono does talk about this on From the Sky Down, as I'm sure I've mentioned a million times. This is his identikit rock star. You yeah. know, it's a bit of Elvis, it's a bit of Lou Reed, it's a bit of Jim Morrison. Yeah, uh, and it, I, the, the fly looks really cool. Great way to start the show. The Edge, can't say the same about The Edge. What? The sequin pants and the, 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 the black vest. I was hoping you got me some of those pants for my birthday. And the purple sleeveless shirt i don't really know how to uh, what else to call that um edge looks the coolest he looks terrible mate he looks so he cool looks so bad when i first watched zoo tv and it was during that season of channel four broadcasting lots of um old u2 shows first time I Ch- t- this ch- this season of channel four showing these videos has got more promotion <laughs> from this podcast than it got on channel four in 2001 well look it, it really on my personal journey with you two. Very important. Yeah, I guess, yeah. Um, but I remember watching that and thinking, my God, the edge looks cool there. I think he looks look, he looks brilliant. Um, so... Let's talk about Adam Clayton. Yeah. Hungover Adam Clayton. Probably the most dramatic change in physical appearance. Yeah, probably. He's got the, the bleach blonde mohawk. Mm-hmm. Some very cool sunglasses. Yep. Uh, and he, I think his his outfit probably changes the most on the tour. But uh, on on this show, he's wearing, wearing a boiler suit. Yeah, pretty much wearing a, a boiler suit, and sometimes he would wear like high vis jackets and uh, um, th- those jackets soldiers wear. You know, we we can put ammo and stuff like yeah. that. Flak jacket is that what it's called? Uh, Something like some, that. A combat vest. Yeah, um, fag in the mouth all yeah, the time. Yeah. How many cigarettes? I mean, I guess the thing is, if you are really hung over and trying to give that all up people I do i mean i don't know if i could smoke hungover well look, I, i'm not a smoker so i, I don't I, really I, know you know speaking speaking as a non-smoker i, I don't know but I, I can't think of a worse time to have a cigarette really well i would just question the logistics of playing bass and smoking at the same time i'd like to imagine he just had a tech that came in put the fag in his mouth and, and lit it it's so stupid do you I, the, Obviously, we know smoking isn't cool, right? It is, though, isn't it? Well, this is my question. It does look cool. I, I don't... Well, my question is, do bon- you... Bono comes on with a cigar? It's not a cigar, is it? It is. It's a, it's a cigar. He takes, he takes a puff of the cigar as the fly and then throws it away. Chucks it away. Yeah, Fire yeah. hazard. Could have been the same cigar for a number of shows, I imagine. <laughs> Maybe. Do you know... Um, oh, I was going to start talking about Zeusation then, but let's not do that. Um... Okay, well, my question is, does Adam look cool or not here? Yes, he looks amazing. Mm. Mm. I like the sunglasses and the hair, but I don't know about the boiler suit. He kind of looks a bit like a I don't big know. child. I, I reckon he pulls it off. Uh, Larry Mullen Jr., no, spo- no sporting. A beard. Long hair and a beard. Yeah. How awesome does Larry Mullen Jr. look in this? I think, in all seriousness, Larry does look the coolest. He He's, he's great. Um, no T-shirt this time. White vest. Is it white? Might be. <laughs> Paid a lot of attention. Um, it's a vest. Yeah, although I although it might be slightly military style. I'm not sure. Well, having seen other shows, I actually think 
Adam and Larry look cooler on other shows um, where they've got a bit more of a military garb on. You yeah. know, so Larry's got that cool backwards hat thing and uh, Clayton's got the big... The, the cadet black, hat. Yeah, yeah, the big black st- with a star on the front hat. It looks amazing. Um, obviously, he doesn't make a proper appearance on this DVD, um, but Mirrorball Man, as was very popular in 1992... Kind of a um, televangelist preacher gimmick. Yeah, I think a brilliant way to subvert all of the... Um, attention that you two were getting for being pretentious and well preaching and appearing like they were being didactic on stage it's a great reversal of that having bono come out and kiss a mirror of himself yeah and again it's very very it still feels really relevant that sort of person coming out and being a a big boorish self-obsessed idiot i mean who else can we think of in the free world who might actually you know be a bit like that these days i can't think of anyone no got me stumped no, and lastly, McFisto. Do you want to talk about his look now? My favourite character of Bono ever, mm. um, which you've dressed up as on Halloween. Yeah, I I own a gold suit. <laughs> I own the ruff, the red ruffle shirt. Think um, of that as a sentence. I own yeah. a gold suit. I've got the devil horns, the the, the white makeup, and last year at Halloween, I I did dress up. And the shoes. As, uh, and, yeah, I've got the, the gold platform shoes. Uh, see, I don't think most people... Kindly donated to us by our friend Laura. Yeah, I don't think most people would go the whole hog with McFisto. They'd, they'd say, well, go... Oh, I did. Yeah, that's what I mean. <laughs> um, they wouldn't go get the shoes, you know, but... It, I'd, I'd, love, it, I'd love to go to a U2 convention just dressed as, as McFisto. I, I just, there's something so fun about being dressed like that and be, just you, you kind of become the character. Yeah. You know, you start ringing people that you haven't spoke to in five years and just go, look what you've done to me. You've made me very famous and I thank you. Yeah, that's giving me the creeps for some reason. You sound like a weird Bond villain. He's a creepy guy. Yeah, I guess Memphis, so. Though. I guess so. Um, I used to get really uncomfortable when McFisto would turn up when I first watched this as a, as a teenager. I couldn't deal with Bono being that <laughs> character. Um, and I thought that the look was pretty daft. It's really so glam. People don't really do glam rock anymore. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, I like it now, but yeah, at the time I thought, this is just weird. I think there were other characters, and I've searched many times for a full list of the, the characters the band portrayed. Mm. Uh, on Zoo TV, but there, I don't think there is a definitive list online. Uh, but the, the, halfway through the show, bon, uh, when Bono is dressed as McFisto, the the rest of the band are wearing these blue kind of uh, space cadet uniforms. Yeah, and I don't know what they are. I don't know what they're supposed to be. I can't find any uh, any literature. And they they're wearing them on me. the front of the uh, the cover for for Zoo TV, haven't yeah, they? Yeah, for the for the DVD. Um, and I think they look so cool. That is the best the band have ever looked, yeah. in my opinion. I, sort of full stop, I think. Um, I think they must just be custom-made ones. But, yeah, they have a weird kind of military feel, but not completely military. And they have the Zeds on the on the collars. Edge is wearing a beret. Who looks cool in a beret? Answer, the Edge. Yeah. Um, really, <laughs> I'm just going to gush, but it's just a great look. Um, suits the show right down to the ground. Um, I, I, you've seen so many rock stars over the last twenty-five years do, you know, dress in similar outfits. Arcade Fire and the new Creature, Creature Comfort videos, all wearing gold lame mm. suits. And I, can you tell me that Bono dressed as McFisto would look out of place in that video? 
No, not at all. He would, you know, it's so so influential, um, and, and I think will continue to be so, uh, be so because it's it's never not cool to look like that. Yeah, and I think for, for a short period of time, you can't do it all the time. But no, you don't do I, that. Down I don't think the it's shops. fun to see people, you know, dress like that and not taking themselves so seriously. Well, I've always been a fan of a band that will wear a uniform. Basically, I think it, it shows a lot of cohesion. I don't like the idea of sometimes you see uh, musicians. Um, I'm being unfair here, but usually bassists. So I just stood there looking a bit mopey, like oh, God, I'm too cool to be in this band. I don't even want to play the bass. Whatever, that kind of thing. This guy from Blur called Alex James. Alex James, yeah, Alex James is great, but he just just wants to be at home making cheese. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I, I love that he could be in one of the biggest bands in the world, but. It, Nothing quite compares to being at home in his kitchen making cheese. <laughs> I suppose so. Once you hit a certain age, I guess there's just and you've rocked that hard. You know, you just want to make cheese at home. Yeah. Um. But back to my point, I like the way that the Ramones wore that kind of uniform, and I like the way that bands like Ramstein wear a kind of uniform and have a coordination. And I don't think it's too far of a stretch, given the kind of militaristic style of this as well, that ZTV could have actually influenced Ramstein. This is a real show, and they seem to really be taking on board that kind of... Um, I think they seem to be reflecting that kind of influence, basically. Yeah. Do you think that's too much of a stretch? No, I think Ramstein, are, you know, in, in terms of live musical theatre, if we're going to call it that, then, you know, Ramstein, for a long time now, mm. have been one of the forerunners. But it's hard to imagine that they could ever have done anything like that without something like Zoo TV. Even just to say, look, this kind of thing, this huge industrial stage that's modular, that has bits that move up and down, that has this... I mean, you know, Bono appearing from under the floor, Till does that on a particular Ramstein show. Yeah. Sorry if I'm going on a lot about Ramstein here. You'd have but... to look at bands... You'd have to look at heavy metal bands, I think, to see shows like that before Zoo TV. People like Iron Maiden. Yeah, I thought you'd bring them up. Um, just how how much they've always wanted to put as much as they can into a live show. And make it special. Um, so yeah, and and Iron Maiden have made a career out of doing thing, things like Zoo TV. Maybe not to the exact scale, but you look at Rock in Rio in two thousand and one, and that was just an absolutely massive crowd mm. for a band that had been around at that point for twenty one years. They really drew a crowd in, and Rock in Rio was still one of my favourite uh, musical uh, music shows. To, to go back to and watch and it's just got just always had a fond place in my, my mind and also it was the first show that I really interact with so I think I had some pretty big ideas about what a show should be yeah, right. a bit disappointing when you go and watch someone um, at a yeah, smaller game I remember the think, first time I, the, my, where are the fireworks my first live concert was actually uh, other than watching you in your old band was <laughs> going watching Brian Adams oh, uh, at, at the MEN in Manchester and I, I, I like Brian Adams but it was nowhere near a show like Zoo TV or Rock in yeah. Rio or um, any of the Ram Ramstein stuff. And Ramstein's not the kind of band that I would normally gravitate towards. But you can't deny that the live shows are you insane. Know, yeah, they're, they're impressive. And I think what it's probably useful to point out here is we obviously love you too, um, and it might seem from... we like other bands as well. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I, we might be gushing here a little bit about you too and saying. Zoo TV was the best thing ever, but this is the place to gush about you two, though. Like this is, this is a yeah, U two podcast. We're safe here, I suppose. You yeah. Know? Um, but what I'm we're amongst friends. What I'm trying to say is, we know that you two didn't just invent all of this. 
that's the point. It's all about all those influences going into a big blender and Zoo TV coming out the other end and then having a big impact later on, you know. And so David, we do we do get that. People like David Bowie obviously deserve a mention and, you know, those people that try to recreate and ne- never do the same thing twice. Mm. Uh, Lou Reed can be mentioned. Um, Bruce Springsteen to a point, I would say. Yeah, um, although I think Bruce deserves an award just for sheer longevity of shows <laughs> and duration. I've been, I've been rediscovering Man. Bruce over the last couple of weeks, and it's just I've never known an artist where no no matter how long you listen to them, classics just keep popping up. Mm. You know, a song will just come on which you, which I've never heard before. Oh my god, I can't believe I've never heard this song. It's it keeps happening with with Bruce for me. That I'm still yet to find my groove with Bruce, but um, I'm sure the boss will get me at one point. Definitely. <laughs> Okay, so shall we move to talking about the set? Shall we go track by track through Zoo TV? Yeah, I'll uh, read it out. So, uh, first of all, we have the show opening um, where the stage starts to come to life and you've got Public Enemy uh, doing Don't Believe the Hype. Uh, That goes into an extended opening for Zoo Station as Bono rises from the floor. On, uh, and silhouetted onto the EU flag. And then they go into The Fly, even better than the real thing, Mysterious Ways, One, Unchained Melody, Until the End of the World, New Year's Day, Numb, Angel of Harlem, Stay Far Away So Close, Satellite of Love, starring Ru- uh, Lou Reed, Dirty Day, Bullet the Blue Sky, Running to Stand Still, Where the Streets Have No Name, Pride in the Name of Love, Daddy's Gonna Pay for Your Crash Car, Lemon, With or Without You, Love is Blindness, and to finish off, the Elvis Presley cover can't help falling in love. And the only omission from the Zoo TV DVD is trying to throw your arms around the world, which um, was between Numb and Angel of Harlem. And the speculation about why that wasn't included um, was Desire not on there as well. No. You, are you sure? I didn't think so. The Desire that's on the DVD is from a different gig. Right, okay. Um, because that's when Mirrorball Man was more popular than, um, well, was being used before McFisto turned up. Um, in terms of trying to throw your arms around the world, um, some people say it's runtime. Some people say that it's because during that song, Bono would usually get a girl up to dance on stage and they would have some champagne and she was underage, so they didn't want to put it on there. But there we go. That's possibly why it's not on there. Um, right, so Zoo Station. What do you think? Uh, I sat there. I was just so impressed. Like um, I've never heard the band sound this good. Speaking chronologically, in you know, in terms of the live shows and the story of U two live, everything just works. It's so it's 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 not even the next step up from Rattle and Home. It's it's just a completely new band. You know, yep. the completely new confidence. Everything sounds a lot more professional, and I can't believe I'm saying that. Because I didn't think Rattling Home or the Joshua Tree tour sounded unprofessional. But there's just this... this I don't know, it must have been a vast learning experience in that two years. Where yeah. they were, okay, what are we not good at? Or what do we feel like we're not good at? And then you just have this explosion of Zoo TV. And it's perfect. It sounds so, so good. Um, so I was a, a really big fan of the way they started this show. I th- and it's... if. You know, if I was ever putting my uh, my ideal U two set list together, I can't see me ever putting Zoo Station as the first song. 
Oh, really? Well, I think this is... I mean, this for me is the best intro to a U2 gig ever, personally. I think... I can't think of anything better than this, really. Um, it's not that crazy of an idea. You know, it's not... It's not really, really complex. Bono isn't flying in on some sort of pulley or winch or something like that, or driving a Trabant through the audience or something stupid like that. It's very simple, but it's so effective of yeah. just the silhouette arriving. Did you have you seen the film Doctor Strange Love, by the way? Nope. Okay, so um it sounds like you're really interested in this little uh, little bit. But did you notice when Bono was obviously he goose steps across the front of the um the stage. Yeah. Um again we've had references to Nazi rallies in the opening because we had those clips from films like Triumph of the Will in the in the in the opening of the kind of drawing that comparison between mass hysteria and mass rallies and the rock gig. It's an interesting um, thing to to discuss. Yeah, but he also does the Doctor Strangelove um, gesture, which is basically in Doctor Strangelove there is a character played by Peter Sellers who is clearly an ex-Nazi and it keeps sort of slipping out and it's just his one of his arms that's really thoroughly a Nazi okay so occasionally his arm will just shoot up in a Heil Hitler salute and he has to like drag it down and yeah. then start hitting it so you can see Bono's doing that arm goes up pull it down arm goes up pull it down kind of thing and I just think that's such a great little little reference yeah and instantly you're thinking this is a different Bono here yeah this is Monty Python bo- uh, Bono <laughs> isn't it this is uh it's very interesting if you if you've used Azu TV as a Monty Python show. Mm. It's uh, everything a rock band, every every everything everybody thinks about a rock band, but everything a rock band is not supposed to do. Yeah, you know, you know, a rock band being the public perception of a rock band. Yeah, it's not. It's not quite how it is. There's something quite strange. It's like, and imagine if you didn't fully know or you weren't fully on board you just bought a u2 ticket because you've been to every other show mm. it must put you in a strange kind of place you know what what am i seeing yeah exactly and that's that's the thing i think this song is a provocation right at the start of the gig before bono's even got to the microphone he's he's smoked his cigarette he's been doing the cool kind of cigar okay um he's been doing the cool kind of moves and he's been preening and and posing and things like that as if to say this is what you expect from a rock star this is the expected kind of gestures and you just can't recognize the bono that existed previously um from that from that joshua tree tour at all it's fantastic and you know the beauty of starting with zoo station is that uh actung baby and zoo roper really get a lot of airtime here this first portion of the show, the first seven songs, apart mm. from the uh, exit of Unchained Melody, yeah, is it that's nineties U two. Well, it's and it's all just acting, baby. Yeah, it's so confident to do that and not think, oh, we're gonna have to get into um, Sunday Bloody Sunday or I will follow early on, you know that kind of thing. But in the eighties, when we were talking about how they, you know, they, how they start shows, um, I think it was the Unforgettable Fire tour show that we that we reviewed yeah when the band started playing new year's day at that show the crowd went crazy because mm. it was something they knew the crowd are already going crazy for this you know this new period of, of u2 yeah. and then song eight i think it is new year's day when that kicks in it's the the, the excitement is still at the same level it's you know the, mm. they're on par so putting a song 
like un- until the end of the world, right up there with New Year's Day. It's quite a statement. Yeah, it is definitely. And and I I was I was when I was sat there, I was thinking, okay, does New Year's Day in particular does this sound like it came out ten years earlier? And I don't think it does with the way they play it at Zoo TV. I think that they made it sound current. They made it sound fashionable. They they mm. made it fit in with Zoo TV. Um, and that that must that might have been a challenge for them at first. I would imagine. Yeah, and although obviously we don't want to jump ahead too much, I think the temptation, I suppose, for a song like that in this particular tour would be to just say, oh, we'll just stick loads of stupid effects on it and make it Zoo TV if I... No, they play the hell out of this song. But they but they play it properly. They don't go, you know, adding flanges to the piano or something, you know, or no. loads of wah-wah on, on stuff, not unnecessarily. Um, okay, well... We can jump back. Yeah, let's let's head back. So... Zoo Station, fantastic. Um, and as you were saying, the crowd are excited, even though they might not know this particularly well, and it isn't a um, a real... Uh, well, obviously, it's, it's a new song, so yeah. it can't be one of those favourites. One thing to say about that is, whenever I've just been watching Zoo TV, and, say, my brother or another member of family have just walked past, they've always been... Even though they're not big U2 fans at all, they've always sort of, you know, just watched along for a little bit. Zoo TV is entertaining with the sound off basically it's mesmerizing yeah it is and that's exactly what it's what it's meant to do it's the it's the only uh, album or show that i've sat down to review and not been able to make notes because i'm i i just i just want to watch the show i don't want to miss anything by writing something down yeah and i've not had that with any of the others yeah it, it, this was just a much more thoroughly enjoyable visual experience to be honest it's and I, fun yeah exactly it's fun and you know I think it's fun for anybody to watch, but if you're a fan of U2, like we are, then you're just going to have a great time because you're going to start singing along, you're going to start you know, imitating a guitar. You might stand up and start dancing around the room like Bono. I know I do. Yeah, but I didn't go that far. But it's, it's just fun. You're going to have a, a good time. And I would say that even if Acting Baby and Zoo Roper aren't your favourite U2 albums... This show might be could still be your favorite show, yeah. Because everything is presented in its own context and it works. Yeah, I even enjoyed Mysterious Ways this time. Well, let's in no small part to uh, Mrs. The Edge too. <laughs> Great. <laughs> um, well, she's called Morley Steinberg at that, this point at least. Her. She might be called Morley Evans now. Well, yeah, they got married though. So. Yeah. Well. Yeah, I was I was thinking let's not just call them Mrs. The Edge. Two. The Fly. Rebellion is packaged. That's one of the ones that I noticed. Did you did any of them particularly like stick in your head? Oh, there were loads that I saw that I hadn't seen before, but I, I didn't I obviously didn't write any down. But it's really interesting. Well they go too fast, don't they, really? You're already distracted by the next one coming along. It's kinda of, it's kinda of subliminal. One'll stick with you. Mm. I don't know if you just blink at the right time and you you'll see that one in, you know. Bon Appetit Fatty is one that I, I, I always sticks out to me. But bon Appetit Fatty. <laughs> it does sound like, yeah, that kind of snarky... Um... I would love if uh, there was uh, a listener of Review 2 who worked... Uh, he's a waiter in a restaurant and uh, the, uh, quite a large Cockney woman with a big nose walks into the restaurant one day. She orders a big <sighs> meal. characters back then. And he just, <laughs> he just walks past and goes, Bon Appetit Fatty. 
I think it'd be worth getting fired for. Probably not. <laughs> but that's one of the ones that... Let us know. Well, that's, yeah, if that does happen to you. Um, but you obviously see a lot of these quoted um, when people are discussing the tour, and that's always one that isn't particularly well known, but just for some reason sticks out to me. Um, obviously, we've got the um, the more famous ones about um, every artist being a cannibal, um, all the things that basically repeat things that are mentioned in The Fly, all those aphorisms that Bono's kind of coming coming out with. Did you think it was weird that um, Edge grips the microphone with two hands on this? And during I, the I noticed that, yeah. He does it twice. I've never seen Edge do that before or since. Maybe he was hungover? Nah. Good old Edge. He would have... He would have been sensible. Sensible pint of Guinness. Um, There's a bit here as well where Edge is soloing and singing, and I remember that being such an iconic moment. Um, Again, when I was first watching these on Channel 4, I just remember seeing Edge soloing to the the fly and singing in that falsetto voice and thinking, how is he actually doing that at the same time? I mean, it's not Steve Vai, but it's really interesting stuff to watch. I remember when you were about 17, and I think you'd seen Pop Mart, and you, you wanted to do the shuffle that Edge does with his feet. Mm. His feet are together and he, he, he shuffles along the floor while doing a solo. And I remember you practicing that for a really long time. Yeah. Did you manage it in the end? Time well spent. Uh, no. <laughs> I mean, the, the problem is the problem is that it's actually... Um, the, bit, the, the bit of Mysterious Ways where he does that is actually fairly difficult to kind of play if you're shuffling along like an idiot in uh, Winkle Pickers. So... Uh, no. Um, more to say about that when we actually get to the song. But I've got a question here. You famously didn't particularly like The Fly on our review of Acton Baby. Yes? I think it's fair to say that the lead singles from Acton Baby, apart from Who's Gonna Ride Your Wild Horses, have never been my favourite U2 songs. Yeah, and that's fine. That's your opinion. It doesn't stop me enjoying them, just... I've never felt a particular connection with even better than the real thing, mysterious ways or the fly. Right. Okay. So my question then is: Do you prefer this song live? Yeah, absolutely. It, it comes back to in its context, in the way it was supposed to be seen. Yeah. In the in the way the band chose to profile a song, and that matters a lot in U 2s career. Yeah, definitely. And this this song. It, it doesn't really make sense as just a sonic kind of experience. You do need either the music video... Sensory overload. Yeah, exactly. That's the most important soundbite for this era of U2. Yeah. I, I'd, say the, I'd say between 1990 and 1995, uh, it has to be sensory overload. To the point where um, the... I think it was the producers of Batman Forever wanted a part written in for Bono yeah. as Mr. McFisto. Um but like both si- Bono was up for this and then both sides yeah, of course decide- he was. decided it, it just wouldn't work. There wasn't enough time. It, you know, it, it took away from the story to just shove another character in there. Yeah, and how much more wacky can you put in that film? I mean, it's pretty much 100% it's my favorite, wacky. It's my favorite Batman film. Well, I I think it's got a lot of redeeming qualities and I I liked it a hell of a lot when I was a kid. But yeah. you've already got Jim Carrey and Tommy Lee Jones going pretty crazy in that film. You can don't you, need Bono imagine, in there as well. Though, can you imagine like Jim Carrey being full on the Riddler and Bono being full on McFisto? I think they would just explode. You throw Robin Williams' genie in there and you have some kind of implosion. You can't put Robin Williams in there because everyone will get confused between him and Bono. <laughs> That's a good point. 
Mm. He's the genie. He's a cartoon. Yeah, but then why would a Bono, why... Bono does not like the genie from Aladdin. No, he doesn't. But also, how are you going to get a genie existing in the live-action film? What are we talking about? I don't know. I have no idea. Well, this is this is the problem with the. <laughs> this is Zoo TV. This boy. is Zoo TV. Yeah, it's, it just takes you on a different a different trip. Um, we're channel hopping a little bit here. Um, okay, right. So let's stick let's stick on this. Um, at this early stage in the gig, there are lots of photographers as well, which Bono, when he's saying, obviously, face pressed up against a glass and he's doing his kind of, you know, preening stances, he approaches them and gets really close close to them. Do you think that they are all bona fide rock photographers or do you think some of them are just extras? I wondered this. I'm hoping they're actual paparazzi. I hope there's a mixture. I, I was hoping um, that, that, yeah, they weren't employed by the band, but, you know, were people that were trying to follow them around and a security guard said, you know, come in, you can go on the, onto the stage. Mm. So I'm, I'm hoping it's real. And uh, one thing that makes me think that is that all of them are very desperately and, and, and quite honestly, very, you know, trying to get the good shots. They're not, they're not just taking, you know, nice shots like an employed photographer might do. Mm. They are acting like paparazzi and, you know, quick flash and they want they want to get the but images. Might they be actors? I think it's just easy to get the the actual paparazzi in, really. Yeah, it's probably cheaper, isn't it? You don't have to pay them if they're just allowed to oh, take It's a brilliant shots. move. Yeah, it's great and it it makes so much sense well, particularly in Zoo TV with that face pressed up against the glass a little bit. Um but again, for this whole rock persona that Bono is adopting here. Um, okay, well, should we move on to even better than the real thing? Absolutely, yeah. There's a lot of focus on Adam smoking in this in this one, for some reason. Maybe they were menthol. Could be. Even better than the real thing. Oh, uh, that's where you go with that. Yeah. Okay. Um, there's an amazing... Listeners, if you got that joke, give us a retweet. Mm. Um, <laughs> there's a bit in this where Bono has the, um, the camera, and he's doing a lot of the filming of Edge... And again, it's really interesting because Bono is, to all intents and purposes, being part of the crew of his own gig here, you know, doing that projection. And there's that nice um, way of bringing the crowd closer to the band, but at the same time distancing them kind of via technology. And Bono does this amazing little look, which I only noticed this time. He's filming Edge doing his guitar wizardry and looking looking cool, making great sounds. And then there's a moment where Bono puts the camera back to himself, but just before he goes away from Edge, he, he makes a little face like, hmm, well, I'm better than the Edge. I don't care about his solos. Yeah. I want this to be about me. That's the character, though, isn't it? Exactly, yeah. yeah, it, yeah. But it's it's so funny because it's just a little wry smile. It's not really hugely telegraphed. And then we've, we've obviously got that moment of Bono spinning around and around and around and literally tangling himself up in his own wires. Well, I... It didn't look like he was at first, and I was thinking, how how is he not? You know, how is he not just you know getting wrapped up and up? Mm. But he, I think he keeps moving his feet so he he doesn't get into trouble mm. and actually fall off stage. Uh, and then you see him walking towards who I am going to call the the paparazzi, and mm. his feet are a bit tied up. It's like he's walking with his trousers down, basically, which is a good kind of metaphor added to the metaphor of him, you know, kind of tangling himself up with his own ego. Yeah, it's such a great, great move and a great commentary. It's so like the just the thinking in this is is just brilliant, and you can tell that came from experimentation over the tours as well. I very much doubt that on day one they thought, okay, Bono's going to tie himself up in the um, in the cable. 
I think it's more, well, I'll mess around with this camera and then that grew organically out of the performances. But by Sydney, it's been really honed. It's such a tight um, performance, something yeah. like that. Mysterious Ways, then. Um, yeah. One of the only times I can remember you two having a dancer on stage. Yes. Um, Although it was a different um, belly dancer in early legs of the tour. Molly was the... Um, was the dance choreographer, and then she agreed to go on tour with the band um, whilst doing that. Yeah. Hmm. Um, yeah, it, it was a slow build to her and Bono interacting. Yeah. Like ben, Bono is very securely in his LV position. Uh, Mrs. The Edge 2 is dancing. <laughs> Belly... Can we call her Morley Steinberg, not This Is The Edge 2? Belly dancing at the end of the B stage. Yeah. Um, and then she appears on the big screen and Bono is kind of bowing down to her. Or the fly is bowing down to her, yeah. making a goddess out of her. And then he turns around and she's there and he, he does the... Uh, what's the um, the painting in the Sistine Chapel? Yeah. Where, you know, you're trying to touch... Yeah, I know which I know which one you mean. For some for some man reason, man reaching for God, isn't it? And God reaching for man. I don't know, but again, the I know art. But I did think I did. Obviously, that reference is there because it's almost, but not quite, touching that that finger. Yeah. So it's a really great reference um, to throw in there. Um, I was reminded a lot of Innocence and Experience. Um, oh, was rather Songs of Innocence tour here because. You've not only got... You got it right the first time. Is it called this... Innocent In the Innocence and Experience Tour, yeah. Well, th- this speaks to how annoying it is waiting for it's the a bad, experience. I thought that is a bad name for a tour. Yeah. Because it's done nothing but confuse people. Okay, so put you on the spot. What would be a better name for that tour? Off the top of my head, Raised by Wolves. Yeah, it's pretty good. It, it it has the connection with innocence, you know, the raising, you know, the formative years. You know, the Raised by Wolves talk would be my go-to. Yeah, I haven't got anything to uh, to suggest in its place. No, like, that's... I mean, if, if they'd have done it in a different venue, they could have called it the Crystal Ballroom tour. Yeah, and if that had been on the record. Hmm. Which it well, didn't. Let's not get into this. <laughs> right, okay. Well, it reminded me of that for two reasons. A, you've got different levels being worked out here. So Bono, you know, returning back to the um, the taller bit of the stage really reminded me of um, the different levels that are used in um, in Innocence. And that's not something we've seen before. Usually we have a very level playing field with um, with the stage. Yeah. But also that huge image, that huge projected image of, a, of the woman and then Bono sort of being a mini version near that reminded me a bit of, you know, when he goes into huge Bono and Edge goes into tiny Edge um, and when he's spitting water all over him. Just nice little links um, back to um, to this tour, I think, on, on Innocence. There's also a bit in the documentary where Edge is talking about the video walls and he says, if you come back here, look, you can actually get inside them. And Edge gets inside one of the video screens in the 90s and you think, you're going to be actually doing that once the technology improves yeah. a little bit. It's just give me a little bit of a shiver. Wow, yeah, wow I'm a nerd. I just realised. No, I think they've been they they're a forward looking band or were uh, un- until this year. Um, bit of a bit of a sharp barb there. 
so annoyed about Songs of Experience. It's weird, yeah, because the closer I, and, we get and, to the Joshua Tree... it's really annoying that Adam keeps doing interviews going, yeah, the record's finished, we just don't know when we're releasing it. That, well, well, that someone, is so irritating. Someone made this point on a forum recently, I think it was on U2 Start, saying basically releasing the album is going to paradoxically make both the tour and the album less important. It's going to have a kind of negative effect on either. Yeah. And it is really irritating because they've sort of, they're having to commit now to further shows. Obviously that's reasonable if you live in those countries, but the album is getting pushed back and I was really sure we'd have an album by now. Yeah, I know you were. You, 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 you Didn't you guarantee me it would be out <laughs> last year? Uh, mm, I don't I, think... Because we had a bet, didn't we? I said it would be sometime this year and you... I said, said not. 2017 or later. And I'm not even sure if we're going to get songs of experience now. It I, will happen. And no, I, well, it obviously will happen. I I I don't know. I I don't know. Mm. I, it it should have been out by now. If it, this was going to be Innocence's Zuropa, so it should have been out by now. Well, mm. let's get back to ZTV. Yeah, okay. One my question for this one is, is this a bit too early in the set for I one? I always thought it was later. I thought Bono was doing his TED Talk Bono when yeah. he played this show, but maybe I'm confusing it with Vertigo. Probably, yeah. Um, but glad they got it out of the way. Glad he's still dressed as a fly. <laughs> out the way? No, well, not out the way, but I'm, gl- I'm glad they put it here with the you know the bulk of, of Acting Baby and Zoo Roper. I think it's a bit too early for it, and I would actually, I would sacrifice one of the later songs. No, this is the end. This this is coming. Well, it's starting the end of part one, and I think this is in three parts because pretty soon after, okay, they do Unchained Melody until the end of the world, New Year's Day, but then Numb starts, and then after that they go to the B stage. And then that's that's part two, and then part three is when mm. they're all back on stage, and then you've got McFisto. Well, that's why I think this is a bit too early. I mean, I guess the difficulty is you've had four really full-on Acton Baby songs in a row, mm. and then this turns up. Mm, it just feels a little bit... It's no, one of the few I, criticisms I, I have is I, this I is a bit jarring. It, I think it works in this place. It calms the crowd down, but it's still new music. And they've really got to push this the new music at this point because it must be quite an insecure time because they just don't know if this is going to work. They probably do by this point. Yeah. But um, but this was, I mean, this is this still tour. pretty much what they began doing. You know, yeah. from the very start, they weren't saying, well, we'll hide behind some of the um, classics and then we'll sneak in a few Acton Babies. It was basically, this is Acton Baby. If you don't like it, you can go home or get a beer for the first few few songs. Yeah. Um, speaking of old uh, new songs, Unchained Melody comes in here, and I thought this was really poignant because up until this point, when you two have been doing cover versions of really really famous songs, I've always thought hmm, you're sort of trying to put yourself next to those artists, and it's some of the, of the elements that came across in Rattle and Hum as very pompous, but I think they actually they deserve to be next to the heroes here, you know. But this song has been covered so many times by so many different people. Mm. Your mind doesn't always go to the Everly Brothers. No. It, it, you know, didn't Gareth Gates do this song at one point? Yeah, I think he did. Um, 
and and it's a good song, but it's one of those songs. It's almost it's almost happy birthday. It's public domain. I think that's how, obviously it isn't. But people, oh, happy birthday is not public domain. You know, is it not? Oh wait, it's recently I think has been made that. But they used to sue the hell out of anyone who who used it. Oh, Merry Christmas is public domain, isn't it? Uh, I'm not sure. <laughs> well, some of them have to be. <laughs> um. So yeah, it it has that feel like it's not any artist song that song just belongs to the human race and i don't think I, that's pretty i'm speaking in pretty grand terms though but so you'd say the melody has been unchained un- yeah absolutely is that the point of the thanks song? for finishing that point off for me because i didn't know where i was going with it really no let's stop channel hopping <laughs> um oh last point about one did you think this was early for the hearing hearers coming lord you know that bit no and I, I, I like that as well. No, I like it as well. What I mean is, I did not expect that end bit oh, to be on there. Oh, right. And apparently, that developed over the tour. But I thought that only. It, that's, t- that's not a an excerpt of an, another song. That's Bono's ending verse, isn't it? For one. Well, it's not in the recorded. Version. No, but it's not another song. Is what I'm saying. Oh God, I really hate the fact that I don't know. I this. don't. I don't. I think it's. I, I think it's like Blackbird and stuff like that. You know, blackbird singing at the dead of night. <laughs> okay. That he does at the end of Beautiful Day sometimes. Okay. Well, anyway, I mean, I was. Were you surprised by that? That it was quite. I it, wondered it if it was going to be there. Hmm. Um. But no, it, it worked. I was glad it was the. I don't think I was that surprised. I was just like, oh, I wonder if it happens so hmm. early. And then it did. Yeah. Um. Great stage um at this point with just the buffaloes running i mean much as i said i think this is a bit out of sequence it's a great performance and yeah. it looks incredible and it's quite earnest as well i mean this and, is the first quite, time um quite austere compared to the everything else that's been going on for the, you know the other songs yeah well i mean this is clearly not the fly singing one is it you no. know with inverted commas around everything no um, the, i mean the glasses come off i think two songs in I think he takes the glasses off after the fly. Yeah. Um, so is he still the fly? I'm not going to get into semantics there, but uh, the fly takes the glasses off. Yeah, and then for the next song, we've got the return of the white towel um, for until the end of the world. All right, there are too many. I don't think you can get a white towel with this action figure of Bono. No, well, I think, obviously, if we are producing the Zoo TV action figure of Bono, what would you say would be your prop that comes with him? I'd have to have the McFisto toy. Okay. Um, and um, would it pro- be the horns? The, the prop would probably be the devil horns. Yeah. Yeah. Detachable. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Cool. Um, the Bono, the fly would obviously have the glasses. Take them off and on. Yeah. That would be great. Mirrorball man hat. would have the um, the hat and the phone. I, I'm saying I'm putting a one accessory limit on on these on these t- uh, toys. Right. Well, I don't think Mirrorball Man ever took his hat off, so... He does really he can, briefly during the television have, bit, I think. He can have an attached hat. Okay, that's a good compromise. Has so, Hasbro been on the phone to us? Uh, no. Hmm. So until the end of the world, people would buy them, though, I think. I, I would buy all of them now. If they're online, I would I would pre-order every single one of them. <laughs> well, if any listeners are, are making it, then uh, that might be a good idea. Um... Now, I've got a criticism of uh, Mr. Adam Clayton in this song. 
How dare you libel and slander? Well, Your Honour, I bring the case to the court's attention. Stop this weird legal riff. Um, the bass sounds bad in this song. It's the only time I noticed any instrument sounding not particularly good. In one? No, in Until the End of the World. Right. Um, I I just noticed it didn't sound particularly good. A bit, it just sounded a bit muddy and like he. I, I didn't. Mm. I didn't notice it. Um, I'll rewatch and see what I think. But you know what I think about Adam. Then again, we do know he's pretty hungover. That's what I was thinking. You know, this is day two, but I imagine he's still pretty hungover. Well, yeah. If you're, I remember when I was drinking, my hangovers were lasting for five days, something like that. And how old is Adam now? Because he's not he's in his thirties. Yeah, he's not the kind of sprightly. Well, I'll stay up till five and get up and you know, no. have a shower and feel great about it. And we were up quite late last night. Got to about half nine, didn't it? Yeah, sometime about that before yeah, the, the cocoa came out. And I'm really tired today. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm proper proper tired. Um, so. Yeah, well, fair enough. Maybe he was having an off night. I'd be interested to see if anyone else um, sees that. And I also don't want to come across as hating Adam. Obviously, Adam is amazing. So then we have one of our first transitions. Um, We've got Until the End of the World moving into New Year's Day. Rather than it being a clean cut-off we reach our first non-acting baby song, the two kind of bleeding into each other. I think the irony disappears a little bit here. That's what I was going to say. There's a tone shift. I would say this is one of you two's favourite songs to play. I think that we've reviewed it on every show so far. Mm, Not the very, very early. Well, not the first one, no, but it hadn't been written. Uh, All the ones since it's been written. (laughs) I'm I'm just being, you know... Pedantic. No, checking on the details, being careful and considered. Yeah, it's really, you know, it's so strange to hear a song so many times and not be disappointed with it. And I'd liken this to Pride in the Name of Love. A lot of people still really love to hear that song, you know, and uh, and, I, and I, I wish I did. I just, I feel I'm a little bit bored of that earnest presentation of, of Pride. But New Year's Day, every time I hear it, it's just gold. I have to stop what I'm doing and mm. just, and just watch it and listen to it. It's it's so so good. Uh, I almost swore then. Um, moving on to numb. Yeah. Um, is, I've my, always found this really strange to include in a live show. Yeah. Well, my point here was that this actually looks more and feels more like a music video than it does a live shoot. And my question would be, do you think that's because the crowd were pretty subdued by this point? I mean, numb is a really clever, really interesting song, as we've said, but. It's the kind of the point of it is that it's deadpan. Yeah. So is that why they're not showing the crowd? Were the crowd going, "What's going on here?" Um, I'm not sure. I think the crowd were into it, but I couldn't see the crowd. It it works. It's, it's almost not as deadpan in this environment. Hmm. It it has a it has a, another level. Um, but yeah, it wouldn't necessarily be my choice to include in the set list. Do you think there should have been more from Zeropa by this point, considering Zeropa is? Out. No, no, because this tour, this show is pretty much acting baby Zeropa. That's what that's what you're getting. You're getting the characters like the Fly from Acting Baby, and you're going into characters like Mirrorball Man mm. and McFisto. I guess as well. There's not really it transitions. There's not many up tempo songs on um, on Zeropa really. Whereas obviously something like the Fly is perfect to start off 
a U2 show with because it's fast and and full of um, crazy guitars and things like that. You can't really slow things down to the to that point. No, and the two different albums as well. Like we said during the the Zoo Roper review, that it was a very insular kind of album, and I think the message uh, because the the sensory overload slows down after a point. From mm. at, when they go to the B stage, the, the the screens are all turned off, and it's just the B stage that's lit. Yeah. Um. So when they when they're playing songs like "Daddy's Gonna Pay for Your Crash Car" and "Lemon." Uh, it's almost as if the Tyner story is all that sensory overload can leave you feeling quite quite numb. Yeah. Uh, and it can you leave you feeling like you just you don't want to protect yourself and you want to go in, into yourself. And I feel that's the transition of the show, the story of the show. Yeah, although not to... I think that's true. Um, but to put a little sort of ding in that theory, we do have trying to throw your arms around the world being played after numb and we move to the B stage, um, which famously featured... Bono taking girls out of the audience and dancing with them and sharing a glass of champagne. Um, and in a not particularly subtle met- metaphor, shooting all the champagne up into the air and all over the girls, basically. So, What's, it, your, what's he referring to there? It's a very, very Is subtle... Is it the Grand Prix? No, I'll tell you, I'll tell you when you're older. Mm. Um, so... Yeah, and you can see a compilation of that on the, um, on the extras to the DVD, which is pretty good. I really like trying to throw your arms around the world and the playing of it is great but that actually feels a bit a bit more relaxed and you know we're not actually playing we're not actually playing with post-modernity and irony here it's just a fun nice song about a hangover Mm. which i'm sure adam would have appreciated on stage (laughs) um okay so angel of harlem we move to the b stage and a little bit of um trivia about this um Willie Williams talks about the B stage in the U2 show and he says that he disguised the B stage as a camera platform um, on the for the first bit of the show so people wouldn't actually have realised what it was so to see the band you know, walk down and actually get in and amid the crowd that would have been a real surprise and it's now become an industry standard but it did remind me of um, Under a Blood Red Sky where they, you know they had obviously they didn't have a proper B stage, but you know that little walkway jutting out, it does feel a bit like that. They've always been trying to bridge that that gap. The two are so distinctly different in my mind that I can't I can't see it. But fair enough if you got that, and 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 well done to the production crew for making you feel like that. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a nice it's a nice link. It's a nice change. Yeah. Um, stay far away, so close. This might be the song of the night for me. Um, they they play it so beautifully and, and the crowd are singing it as well and this is uh, I think the latest single at that point mm. really well done on 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 that performance it's it that that has to be the definitive version of Stay. Oh, I disagree. You go in Boston. I'll keep my powder dry on that for now. I mean we've we've got to have some way of making people keep listening to this show. So um. I'll 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 save that spoiler. For... It's the only other show we're reviewing where that song is played. Oh god damn it! Okay, fine. Yeah, it's Boston. All right, that's the best version of that song. Um, it's it's great though, and it works really well. Um, there's a little reference to um, Helter Skelter as well in this, where Bono does that whole line about stealing it back. The crowd I... go crazy. Yeah, because they, they agree. Hear Helter, Helter Skelter. Oh god, that'd be awful. <laughs> um, Wait a minute, this isn't Helter Skelter. <laughs> I wanted Angela Lansbury, damn it. Is that your that your Australian accent? Uh no. 
That's not an invitation to do an Australian accent. God damn it. I wanted Hilda Skelter. Not the worst in the world. Um, I wanted Angela Lansbury to come on stage. Right. Heard about a murder she wrote. Right. Satellite of Love. I've got good, but a bit meh. I mean, I think I agree with this song conceptually. I we've got a recording of Lou Reed, and I think it makes more sense that it's a recording of him was rather he ever than lying? yes, he was for one of them, and I know that would have been exciting at the time. But I think conceptually, it makes more sense to have the recording of him doing it, and you have a virtual duet. It's really Zoo TV satellite. They've got a satellite. However, I have never really been massively into Satellite of Love. I think they play it well. They do. I just don't like the song. To begin with, if you know what I mean, it's it's never grabbed me. It's not a bad song, but I've never thought I really want to put Satellite of Love on. No, it's a B side. Mm. Not well, the, not the only B side played in this this show. Well, yeah, maybe I just need to get into the re a bit a bit more. Um, oh no, and then we have uh, Dirty Day. I would argue no one wanted this to yeah, be played. Yeah, it's uh, it's a rough it's a rough watch. It's further. But it shows how much conf- how much they want to promote the new songs. Yeah, but then do do some days are better than others, or um, or something else. Do Babyface. The Wonder I always wanted on this. That would have been brilliant, and I think yeah, all the Atomic Sky imagery and Johnny Cash, um, you know, doing a similar appearance like Lou Reed, that would have been amazing. Um, Edge rocks out a bit more, which is cool. There's a bit more soloing, but I still think this is a song they really should have dropped by this by this yeah. point. And I don't think the crowd enjoy it very much. No, then they play Bullet the Blue Sky. Pretty standard version of, of Bullet. Um, mm, there's a lot more, maybe again, this is a guitar nerd thing, but there's a lot more wah-wah. I mean, there's incredible... I think you're right. It's a, it's a guitar <laughs> nerd thing. Does Bono look stupid or not here? Because this is where Bono comes back out in his uh, cop outfit, which we've not really talked about, actually. No, cool. Cool outfit. Actually, don't know the name of that character. Mr. Policeman. Yep, I'll go with that. Uh, so, Mr. Policeman, um, he's got the same kind of flak vest that Adam would be wearing, um, which has got got like walkie-talkies in, but I think they are transmitters because he's using the headset. Yeah, I mean... The Britney, t- the Britney style mic. But we're talking 93 here, so it must be quite um, sophisticated stuff to do it, to do it properly. You yeah, know? I think that's why he has to have all the extra packs on him. I mean, again, I think without... Putting, you know, heaping too much praise on the band. I think they really are leading the way, technologically speaking. I mean, I think, imagine, they, always, I think they always have done. But imagine coordinating all of this. I mean, it's a TV station. When Edge goes in the documentary and walks you through all the different computers, obviously the '90s computers, so they're enormous. But it is, to all intents and purposes, a TV station, and yeah. that's it's so cool. Um, I think this is one of the points in the show that I realised that phones would absolutely ruin the show these days. Um, the bit where you know they're doing the clap, yeah, that is amazing. But I think over half the people would be messing around with the phones. You know, the crowd looked like a proper rock crowd. They'll be able to see the show and not record it or take pictures. Yeah, and I've just realised this is going to completely undermine my point when we're at the Joshua Tree thing, and I'm you know trying to say, well, Bono's just come over here and he's 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 singing a song next to us, you know. Yeah. But anyway, for the updates. Uh, the live updates during our excursion to U2 Twickenham. Yeah, we'll try and not annoy people with that. Well, with the... Be cool to meet up with some of the U2 fans as well in London. 
Yeah, um, say hello. So if you're around, send us a tweet. We could meet up outside the stadium. We'll be uh, we'll be there all day queuing. Um, so yeah, it'd just be cool to to meet some of you. Maybe we could go to a pub or something beforehand. Well, could yeah, could do. Well, say say updated for that. Um, we'll if, let you know if, if we do. If do you're that. in Twickenham uh, for the July the eighth show, uh, come and say hi to us. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah. Um. All right. So moving into running to standstill. Um. Another guitar nerdy thing. This is very different because it's Edge doing most of the work on the guitar rather than piano. It's a very non-standard setup for this song. Yeah, great version. It's amazing. I think it's the most epic this song has ever sounded. Uh, when I was younger, I never used to like the transition into Streets. Ah, interesting. But now I really do. Just before we talk about the transition, did you notice people chucking rubbish at Bono? It's so annoying. It's it's. I love the Aussies in this crowd. They go nuts for everything. It would have been a great gig, but who's throwing stuff in running to standstill? Yeah, get on with it. Play a faster song. I've never really. Wa- I mean, I like the guy that throws water at Bono at Slane. That's fun though. Yeah, let's hope it's water. Mm. But you know, these it looks like people throwing just rubbish and stuff like that. It's re- it's very annoying. Um, I really like the way they play streets. Why didn't you used to like the transition, and why do you uh, I now? Because I think I was used to later versions and transitions into the song, which I, I think supersede it. Yep, uh, they but, do. But looking back and going through it this way, it's it, there's few songs that you could actually have put in that place before Streets. Yeah. Um, it's kind of perfect in a way. It is really good, and this is the birth of those classic transitions. Um and at this point, I think, is where their irony completely slips away. And when you have Bono looking back at himself, I mean, even though he's looking at an image of himself that's kind of sped up and he and he waves and he says, hey, you. Yeah, this is the TED Talk portion of the show, isn't it? But it's good, but it's good because he's not he's not lecturing anyone about, about a particular thing. It just, it seems really... Pure. Yeah, and earnest. And it's great because I couldn't really explain this when I saw it, but I just felt this band has been here the whole time. Underneath all the irony and the glasses and the dyed hair and leather, this U2 has been on stage all the way through. Yeah. And it's it's such a great moment. And um, Larry does a cheeky little grin, which always I always notice. Yeah, Larry looks like he's having a great time. He's uh, got a great beard. Then Pride in the Name of Love. Yeah. Um, the clip saves this, makes it an interesting version. Um, apart from that, meh. Yeah. Sorry, guys. Um, then we're going to go to the McFisto and final portion of the tour of the show. Um, Daddy's going to pay for your crash car. It's brilliant. It, it's good. Yeah, I think there are other songs that could have shown McFisto in a better light, but hmm. there you go. Such as he rings a taxi. Well, so, wait. What other songs are you thinking of? Um, I think "Can't Help Falling in Love with You" would have been would have been fun. A weird one to encore entry, though. I guess. Yeah. I don't. I don't know. I think um, we get we get lemon. Zoo Roper would have been good as well. Uh, that, that's that's the the thing that's missing for me most about this. I think it would have been amazing to enter with Zoo Roper into Streets would have been very interesting. Well, that's what they did live when we saw them. Really? On Innocence. I might have to do a fact check. Yeah, I I, I don't remember that. Um, um. So Daddy's gonna pay for your crash car. Fun because the Trabants actually get crashed into each other in mid air. Um, Lemon is better. 
Hmm, it's different. These are two songs which I'm really happy they played. I'm glad they didn't neglect uh, Zeropa as they have done, well, pretty much ever since. Um, they're really chunky, interesting, non-crowd-pleasing songs. I'm glad that they've moved from Pride to come back in and say, actually, we are still going to play some pretty deep, interesting cuts off this. Maybe McFisto playing The Wanderer would have been fun. Yeah, but then but that's quite an earnest song, and it's a different... Yeah, image. I it's guess it's difficult. Mephisto's an interesting character, and it's hard to get right, hard to please everybody with that. I think. Yeah, I and mean, what? So the main difference here is the midnight bit, isn't it? With Bono going midnight, midnight, you know that kind of thing. I am not a massive fan of that. I prefer. I prefer. It sounds great though. It does sound great. I just prefer the um, the version that's on on CD. I guess it it makes sense for this live occasion. That does that does make sense. And we've got show show me the way to go home. Uh, McFist does little lament after his phone call, or he gets hung up on. Yeah, it's it's really interesting that we've got. He's an expert with dealing with whatever the other person handle, yeah. it says on the phone. Well, that's the thing. This is the element of chance that's introduced. I've spoken about this before, but Brian Eno's really your man for that as an artistic idea. Let's have lots of different things going on, set them going, and see what happens. Yeah. Um, and it, it's that element of well, we're just going to phone up and see what happens. That's a, a brilliant bit in this in this show. And over the tour, there's lots of different examples. Um, there was a, a time when he phoned up a pizza place and he tried to order. I think it was like ten thousand pizzas. And I think about a hundred actually managed to be delivered, and they gave them out to the crowd. Yeah, that would be a great bit of memorabilia, but it would go off. Yeah. So maybe someone still got a an airtight bag with a slice of pizza from that night, <laughs> just stuck in the freezer somewhere with yeah. Zoo TV written on it. Yeah. My mum would always be trying to throw that out. Well, y- yeah. If it's in the freezer, it's not going to go off. No. Although it's but early 90s. Mums seem to have this thing about they're the only ones that are allowed to put things in the freezer. My mum did anyway. <laughs> she didn't like it when I bought things. I, to, to be honest, my mum goes nuts when I go near the freezer. Don't yeah. touch the freezer. Yeah. Want some ice? What's the, what's the worst <laughs> that could possibly happen? Um. So, with or without you? Great version. We watched a version of this last night, didn't we? Yeah. It feels like it's... It is a great version. It's brilliant. Um, it feels like it's almost a bit of a penance for the indulgence, in inverted commas, of the previous two songs. You know, to get back any people who, you know, maybe they're not as dedicated to Zeropa, yeah. and they, you know, they're thinking, hmm, this has all gone on for quite a long time and is a bit, bit weird. I wouldn't be thinking that, but I can see that this is sort of a penance song, but it's yeah. great. It, yeah, it's absolutely fantastic version. Uh, love is blindness. I love it. I absolutely love it. Yeah. This is Edge's song, not Bono's. Even in this performance, it's so, it's so raw. It's a nice return to Acton Baby, which I don't think has appeared since. Well, that was until the ri- end of the that world. That was written um, during the breakup, wasn't it? Yeah, Between, of his first marriage. Yeah, him and Mrs. The Edge, number one. Mm. Um, but even though Bono is singing this, it feels like all the emotion comes from Edge's side here. I, d- I don't know, maybe that's me putting too much of a spin on it, but I-, I feel like this is really Edge's song, and I would again 
to anyone who's not seen it, go and watch Edge's solo performance of this. Um, that's oh, online. So good. It's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, I'd love to see an evening with the Edge and him just going through a, a, a few like different a songs, unplugged kind of thing. Yeah, but. And I, it's not that I don't like Bono. It's just it would be such an interesting experience to watch him just set, like play through Ian seven songs. Noel Gallagher playing Oasis songs. It's yeah, just better. Yeah, the the mouth has gone out of the room, so to speak. Yeah. I also like the fact that you two, in ending these shows, and obviously this is not the proper ending. We've still got uh, can't help falling in love. Um, I at sixteen wooed a girl um, <laughs> by walking her home one night and singing the U two version of. Uh, can't help falling in love. Okay, did you um, manage the falsetto? Did you have tight trousers? I, I went for the I went for the falsetto. Which, looking back, why did I do that? <laughs> I'm walking home one night mm. with this girl. I'm hoping to uh, snog. Well, was yeah, I was going to say, was this? And I don't want you to get graphic, but was this successful? Then this it wooing worked, attempt, yeah, it worked. Oh, well, fair dues. Um, what I like about this as an ending, as a winding down with love is blindness is because it does feel like these songs are kind of together this is a conscious decision to move away from finishing things with 40 you know in that big mm. kind of epic way we've been taken through the city and the and the uh well not blinding lights they're not here the glittering kind of lights of of the city and the trashy kind of berlin and vegas style things throughout this show we've seen all the cars smashed together and bono dressed like a ridiculous fool but then we really have a really quiet, insular ending to the song. This isn't 40. This isn't everyone singing, no, you know. We've been taken on a journey of uh, of consumerism. You know, you want everything and you want everything. You want everything now. You want it immediately. You want it on your, your TV. Everything now. <laughs> Relevant. Um, you, you want, you know, you want to see things on TV right away. You want to buy the products you see on TV. You want to experience it. You want to get the cars. All this has been coming through. And then uh, at the end, uh, at the end of it, once you've got everything, hmm. what what are you really left with? You know, what what have you really got? And I think that's what the, this show ending with can't help falling in love. Hmm. It just it just end, it ends that story of you, you know you're left with basically just just what's in your heart after after everything else. At the end of the day, it all comes... is, you know is uh, disposable. Yeah, at the end of the day, it all comes down to human relationships and you're either in a position of despair like love is blindness yeah or that position of love perhaps that you've yeah. got in the other one possibly unrequited yeah exactly and i mean it carries on that tradition that's started on acting baby the record of of not feeling like you have to finish something in an epic and upbeat way you can have something that is more meditative and potentially melancholy and sad yeah. and it's an amazing it's an amazing end and I do feel like we've been taken on an incredible journey here throughout yeah. this show. Um, and just really fun to watch. Um, before we tie things up, or start to, I uh, just want to talk about a few of the bonus features on this DVD package. Uh, on disc 2, you have Trying to Throw Your Arms Around the World and Desire, both taken from the Zoo TV special in Yankee Stadium. Um, I imagine that was recorded, so that's probably online somewhere. I think pretty much everything's online somewhere. Yeah, um, and that, that was from August 92. Anything to say about the Desire performance? I mean, we talked about trying to throw your arms, but anything to say about Mirrorball Man or that performance? 
I, I haven't I haven't watched that recently, so um, oh, okay. But I I know that these are you know good. You've also got the fly and even better than than the real thing from the Stop Sellerfield concert in the GMEX Centre, Manchester, nineteenth of June, nineteen ninety two. And then on disc two, you've got um, a fistful of Zoo TV, which is a documentary, uh, another documentary Zoo TV, the Inside Story, and Trabantland. Yeah, they're all documentaries. Um, then you've got extras like. Um, video confessional they would do this at the, um before each show they would have a video booth and, and fans would go in and and say i love you bono and stuff like that it's not much of a confession is no it? no but uh one of the, there was a guy um who went in there and went uh all everyone's going on about how much they want to have sex with bono i want to have sex with bono's wife there i said it uh, so Classy it's, dude. Yeah, stuff like that. Um, and they used to play them. They would film them at the start, but then play them in the encore yeah. section, which is a really clever idea. But apparently, some people would would have you know small confessions, funny confessions, but some people came out with really poignant confessions about things. Like someone said that they'd be responsible for someone's uh, death inadvertently, and I'm, I'm not getting all the details right, but you know things of that nature would yeah. would get confessed. And it's very interesting because it furthers that idea of. TV and technology and personal relationships that's at the heart of this gig and the whole tour that people were happy to come to a rock and roll show and share that information with thousands of people yeah Yeah, exactly and it's it's interesting because it's sort of worrying in some ways that people are happy to go on TV and and talk about that but it's also technology bringing people together to anybody these days well, no, no. The things but, that people are willing to do to be famous. But this is before Facebook and everything. It goes back to that whole, you know, Bono doing his selfie cam. We live in that world now more than ever. We've become Zoo TV, really. Everyone's yeah. got their own little radio and video channel set up. We do a podcast, for God's sake. Yeah, but we've got something to say. Do we? <laughs> yeah, maybe we do. Um, and, and then you've got the Numb Karaoke video. Well, yeah, I this I think this speaks to it shows our different characters. I have not watched the Num Karaoke video. I've watched it, but I haven't. You haven't taken part. No, I mean, yeah, there's not that much I point. Can't, in I it. can't remember a time where I've ever been desperate to sing Num on karaoke. Well, can one sing? I've never been in the pub one night. And go, Do you know what? I've got the perfect song. Just let me go home and get it. Mm. You know, just kill the pub mood dead. Yeah, it's just strange. Um. The documentaries are really great. I'm not going to bore through all the details because people can just go and watch them. Um, but one of my favourite parts of that is the Trabantland documentary. Now, there's a bit where Paul McGuinness shows that he's actually got some quite funny acting and comedy chops. He's walking around the factory um, saying, this is what a Trabant looks like. And if you look, you can put your finger through here. And he's going. he's got one of the roofs that are basically just made of sawdust <laughs> and poking his finger through it. And then he takes this little Trabant model car and goes there's actually more metal in this little model than in this whole factory and then the car just flies off the um just just lets it go and it zooms down he's, he's actually pretty good mcginnis at, yeah. like, at, at, at comedy and my my other favorite thing from that trabantland um there's an interview from the time when zoo tv was obviously um actually current and there would obviously be news broadcasts and people would be covering the fact that you two were using cars to light the show and he's talking to the guy who owns or manages the whole Trabantland um, factory. And the interviewer says to him after, it's obviously it's quite a serious interview, this. And the, the guy's very serious because the business is failing. Trabants were a complete failure as a, as a model um, after reunification. And he asked the guy, um, he says, what do you think about, um, about you two using Trabants in their show? 
and this really serious guy, a tiny little grin sort of creeps into his face and he goes, unfortunately, it's too late. And it's just, it's really, really sad, you know. Um, but you can tell that it kind of cuts through that really, um, that really austere <laughs> and kind of professional and serious yeah. interview that the guy's doing. It's too late. Yeah. Um, good package. I really do go and get this DVD. It's so, so good. And I imagine it's pretty cheap now on Amazon. Of all of the things that... I don't buy everything that YouTube puts out. Um, I don't have the money or the inclination. Um, but this is one of the best purchases you can get, particularly yeah. if you get an extra set of stickers like I did. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was Zoo TV. Johnny, is it a show or a gig? This is a show. It's <laughs> It's not just a show, though. It's a piece of art, yeah. um, which arguably you two will never make a more bold or interesting artistic statement no, than I, this. I actually have a a quote from our friends over at Pitchfork, and they said no band has ever done, you know, has ever reached the heights of Zoo TV yet, of, hmm. of having a rock show and making a, a, a statement at the same time. Uh, even you two, you know, have failed to combine the two so successfully and have just such a good cohesive rock show it's not the exact quote but um i couldn't i couldn't find it but i I did read that and i think it's true i think this is a show that is so far beyond its time that we're still not there yet we we, there's still i see i I mean particularly I, i mentioned the brexit thing that whole first bit very familiar to the political climate we're in now uh mm. in in britain i think and maybe even you know you know you could you could take that further afield uh it it's still really relevant it's still really good uh it's it's shot really well i i imagine that there will be a blu-ray release one day um and i can't wait to see it yeah i, I mean i think it's about as good as it can can get i mean obviously i'd be interested in in a blu-ray particularly if there's some more content there although i don't really see what they can do unless they're just going to put together a few things um that they might have had around in the archive the shows would be good you know yeah yeah see, i'd love to have an official release of um mirrorball man and, and just see you know some of the stuff he got up to uh more footage of what mcfisto got up to uh each night yeah although i suppose having a little bit of the the mythology of this whole tour, I like the fact that we don't have everything recorded and yeah. and you know everything on there for public record. But it is it is an amazing show. Yeah, this is definitely definitely a show. Yeah, this is a show. It's an art artistic statement. You were saying Pitchfork think that they won't better it. I think it's really telling that Willie Williams in the book says he doesn't think they'll. You know, there'll never be anything like it again. Maybe he's not saying it was the best it's show ever. Hard to imagine what, how they would top it. Yeah, yeah. It, maybe in set list, you know, it's not the best show ever, but in, in documented YouTube footage at YouTube at the absolute peak. Yeah. Then yeah, it's hard. You're hard pressed to to find a better showing, I think. And all of the press around this was so good as well. So when they were doing interviews, they would sometimes conduct them via the stage. You know, so they would actually be talking. They'd be around, but they would just be talking via video link. Yeah. Um. Um. There's a really nice bit where Bono is talking to a journalist, and he says, "Wow, you're all looking a bit different." And he says, "Well, you didn't like me before, so I thought I'd become someone different." It's Bono, really consciously addressing the fact of, "Well, let's have a bit of fun with this. Let's not just 
maybe pompous Bono. But was it Bono? Ah, well, yeah. Or um, was it uh, the the troop of doppelgangers, which we this week learned about? Yeah, well, this is fascinating. And I guess we're going to have a little um, shout-out section at the end of, of this show. Yeah. Um, I will say, just before we get into that, for anyone on Tenterhooks, uh, it's probably quite obvious that this is a time where I will be using my magical ticket for this show, definitely. Right. Um, What's that? Is that the sound of our Review 2 time machine? I was going to make a time machine noise then, and then I realised I don't know what a time machine sounds like. Put the TARDIS sound in. Oh, okay. <laughs> the BBC will probably sue us. Um, yeah, so that, that for anyone wondering, it's that gig. And come and join me. So, shout-outs then. Um, as you brought them up, we should talk about U2's doppelgangers. Obviously, Acton Baby and Zoo TV plays with that idea of what is it to be a rock star... Um, who is this on stage? Are we getting an, a real person here or just a mixture of lots of different identities? So you two, and I'm probably butchering the history of this, so if you'd like to find out about this more officially, go to u2sdoppelgangers.weebly.com. You two actually put together a group of people who could act as the doppelgangers. And we found out about this through um, Paul Alley. As part of you 2s official doppelganger band they would open things and they would be at album launches and things like that so there may be people out there mm. who think they met bono in 1992 yeah and they appeared on um, on tv with um as as the band to a to a live audience with yeah. with you two watching apparently so it's just deepening this idea of you know what is reality what's truth yeah some of paul's stories are fascinating and you can follow paul ali at U2 Zoo Station TV. That's on Twitter at U2 Zoo Station TV, and uh, he's he sent us a couple of emails, and they are absolutely fascinating. And it'd be really cool to maybe uh, interview him uh, on a future show and just get some of those those stories from the doppelganger days. Well, there's a really great one that he was telling us about the fact that um, Edge wanted to have a look at his uh, Black Gibson Explorer. Uh, side note. I've got a black Gibson Explorer too, but it doesn't have a black scratch plate. It's got a white one. Uh, anyway, um, apparently Edge had a look um, and a play with the uh, with the guitar, started playing Streets on it, and then the guitar just got completely lost. And after the search, they found that it had been packed away with all of Edge's guitars. So, I mean, I love the Edge, but apparently he's a bit of a guitar thief at the same <laughs> at the same time. Are you, are you finally going to apologise for some of the Edge's actions? No. Uh, oh, it's it's ridiculous. Um, but yeah, quite a lot of you guys now have been reaching out to us uh, on Twitter specifically. Um, not not just Paul. Uh, there's also the uh, Twitter page. That's at you two then and now. And um, yeah, uh, another another few fascinating stories about Bono and the band in the eighties, um, and um, the the way that the band would get them into shows because there was a group of them that would go to every single show and they didn't have a ticket one night and uh, so they shouted over to Bono and then I think it was just as they were coming on stage uh, a security guard kicked the the fire door open and and gave them tickets and they they went in and they, the tickets were from Bono that's really nice it sort yeah. of completes a circle as well doesn't it because we hear in those early stories about them sneaking in to watch the clash or you know getting into gigs when they didn't really have tickets to have that come full circle where you two are helping their fans connect with them 
it's just really nice. Yeah, and uh, my final shout out this week is to George McCauley, who has been a dedicated fan, a dedicated fan right from the very beginning as well. He's one of the very first people to get in contact with us when we started the podcast last year, and uh, he continues to listen and continues to send us his feedback. And we 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 thank you for that, George. It's great. We know you're going to the Twickenham gig, so again, it'd be great to to meet up with you. Um, yeah, just thank thanks for for uh, listening and supporting the show. Um, and I think what we'll do is we'll probably do a big shout out at some point to everyone who's got in. We're in getting contact. quite a few now, aren't we? Yeah, uh, but I think it'd be nice to do to mention everyone by name at some point. Obviously, we we're not going to do it all now, but at some point, we'll everyone who sent us some feedback. It would be really nice to just give them a mention. Yeah, I still cannot really believe, and I don't want to just sort of wallow in my own. Um, Crapulence or whatever, yeah. whatever Mr. Burns says. Um, <laughs> I don't want to wallow too much, but um, it's amazing that there's, you know, we have listeners in Indonesia. Yeah, I'm, I'm feeling a part of the YouTube community now at large. You know, I'm, I'm really enjoying the interaction that I'm getting um, on, on Twitter and on Facebook uh, and the rebel type guys that email us. It's that's what I wanted. I wanted to share stories with other U two fans. I wanted to share opinions. There are there are songs that I don't particularly like that other U two fans love, and I wanted to. I I, I want to expand my uh, my perception of U two and what other people think. And this has just been a really worthwhile process of doing that. So yeah, mm. like absolutely love being a part of the U two community. And people have stuck with it despite the fact that our early episodes were not particularly good. No, they weren't. That boy episode makes me cringe. Terrible. <laughs> it's really bad. Yeah, I really like war though. You should all listen to war. Oh well Tyler getting angry uh, <laughs> No, um but yeah thank uh, thanks to everybody. This is great. Um this is a really it's a really fun show, Zoo TV. If you've not seen the, the Live in Sydney DVD then try and get your hands on it i think it is on youtube also uh, all the stuff you can find on youtube for zoo tv is fascinating uh, yeah it just know, gets better and better it's it's a really fun time in the in the band's history um is there anything we've not done this week johnny um we've wrapped up the magical ticket feature that's that's yeah. well and truly done You've so gone yeah, back it's to very Red important that you let us know when you would use your magical ticket <laughs> It's deeply important. Yeah, um, we've done Bono's accessory. We've said that this is definitely not a gig; it is a show yep. and possibly a transcendent show. Apart from that, I think uh, everyone should watch more TV. Yeah. Basically, yeah. People at home, turn on your TV. Um, so, right from me, Tyler, and over there, Johnny. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for getting in touch. We really look forward to hearing a lot more of your stories and your interactions with the band. Um, But for now, for this week, thank you very much for listening. And we'll be back very soon with the podcast. Thanks, y'all. Bye. Hi there, thanks for listening to the show. If you'd like to get in touch, please contact us on facebook.com forward slash review2u or on soundcloud.com forward slash review2 or search for the Review 2 podcast on iTunes. You can also email us at review2contact at gmail.com. Please like, comment and subscribe. Thank you.